So this is the Incline Podcast, episode two, with me, Sam Klein. And for the first time, I have a guest. Born and raised in Utah, USA, this person is probably the most creative individual I have ever met. His passion for music turned me on to different genres and artists I would never have encountered otherwise, and his relaxed demeanor is infectious. Although not to be confused with unproductivity, because his he is a perfect example of someone dedicated to the process of his craft and is constantly working towards bettering himself. He is, I would say, a master at being himself as well, which is something I think we can all learn from. So that's why he's here today. And he is Jaden Roosh. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> that, no was, that was a great introduction. Yeah. Probably the best and first one I've ever had. Really? Yeah. I took five minutes. It was, yeah, really, you know, <laughs> intense five minutes. Um, so yeah, I'll just cue in probably in post-production, like the sound of an audience clapping, you know, Oh yeah, as, as I say right. your name, um, just to give it that effect, you know. Cool. Yeah. Do we want to like clap just to make sure our audio is seen? I'm just going to. Oh, that's a good that's idea. probably actually. good enough for you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's a, that's a clap for sure. So we got clap. that. I was going to say we could try and sync up our own claps now as we talk to each other, but that might be, that <laughs> might be really yeah. hard <laughs> with the delay from <laughs> From Utah to the to the UK, um, yeah. So yeah, um, let's just dive right in. And you've probably been asked this a load, like loads of times, but um, the name Roosh. As I as I type it out, I have to literally say in my own head, Ruesk. Ruesk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because otherwise I'll just I'll just type it out wrong, and I'll put the e before the u, and mm-hmm. I don't know, put an extra letter in, there, isn't there, whatever. So. Drush, I'd never heard of that name before. Where does that name come from? It's a German. It actually means to slide, which is cool. But um, it, it, even in my, it's okay. Like people get it wrong spelling all the time. But even in my own head, I have to like argue with this much in my head. Like every time I spell it out, I have to like say it in my head like that. <laughs> really? Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's strange. It's quite apt that it means to slide, I guess, because yeah. you could almost like you know, it's like you're sliding through life in a way, but if yeah. that makes any sense, would that be an analogy <laughs> you'd use to describe Jaden? I haven't heard it that way, but I, Jayden I might using it that way. Ruesch. Yeah. yeah. I say that to myself <laughs> as well, because Klein's actually a German name. Um, it's a German word. Oh, really? Small. Yeah, it means small. Um, <laughs> made famous by Calvin Klein. Um, but I, I, I say it in my own head, K-L-E-I-N. K-L-E-I-N. Yeah. Sorry. It's funny how you have to still, after all these years, it's not just like a automatic thing you have to like process it through yeah i guess it's like i do that with the word wednesday but like oh yeah wed wed wednesday yeah <laughs> beautiful b-e-a-utiful like that and oh yeah the, that's certain words that that's from uh what is that um jim carrey uh oh, oh bruce almighty yes yeah, that's what he does that's oh, it's from that's, bruce that's where how i learned how to how to spell that was from that movie wow that that film has taught a generation of people how to spell the word beautiful. <laughs> Seriously, I don't I think I probably wouldn't know how to if it weren't for him. Yeah. Probably would have never learned. I learned half a dictionary <laughs> from that film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how's how's lockdown going? Um It's been good. Yeah, not for me like being an introvert kind of thing is I've been kind of thriving a little bit. Like all the pressure of like having to do something or like oh i need to go out and do something like it's kind of off <laughs> and i i can feel productive in my own sense of 
I've just been painting a lot, uh, just working on different things like that, reading. That's that's really cool because I guess yeah, introverts will be reveling right now in what's happening. There was those memes going around the internet when this first all started yeah. to happen, wasn't there? Like uh, social distancing, haha! I've been doing that for like the last twenty years. <laughs> oh yeah, nothing. Nothing's really changed. The only it's probably only increased. Like it's just more intense. Like I've pro- I've definitely beaten my record of not going outside and like oh man, what is it? Probably maybe a week. Oh, wow. but but then again on ships i mean it that that's i've already been trained this isn't even hard because i've already been in isolation on ships for like the four days when i had the flu on the way to uh from australia to japan and uh and just ship life you have to remind yourself to go outside and if you don't you just forget and you're like oh yeah i haven't been outside in like four days yeah <laughs> you forget that's a really good like point because I had that same I'd never had flu on ships so being in isolation when you're ill is like a totally different thing than just being on the ship on a regular sea day isn't it because you're confined to a, a cabin way below decks and no one can visit oh, yeah. you even you're like literally <laughs> you're like in a hole in like a prison or something like that I, I loved it honestly that was like just being in, in the medical room there was a porthole so every night I could just look out the window and then it was just four days of not working after working every single day. And then it's like, oh, I'm sick now. This is this is like a surprise vacation. That's what I've always said about being sick. I treat it like a surprise vacation. Sometimes you're way too sick to enjoy it. But other times, like I was already kind of over the hill of my sickness when I, they finally put me in isolation. So I was just kind of chilling in there. I sped run and I beat Diablo 2. And uh, yeah, it was really a good time. I only have fond memories. <laughs> yeah i mean that's a really like positive way of looking at the situation right now because like in in the first episode of this podcast i did i was sort of explaining how being on lockdown for me was really frustrating me i wasn't seeing it as like that kind of vacation kind mm-hmm. of feel whereas like i've got to stop saying like honestly <laughs> <laughs> I, that was one of the things i told myself whilst recording this don't don't go um a lot and don't say like a lot but um, yeah, <laughs> I've just done it, uh, and again, what now I'm trying to say is ultra world aware of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I'm trying to say is though is it's all about like that kind of perspective, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I guess cruise ships can give you more of that appreciation for when you are outside as well. I remember yeah. being on the Queen Mary too, um, and all those sea days during transatlantic crossings. So oh, yeah. people that don't know, um. There's six sea days from Southampton to New York. You have a turnaround, then you're back again for another six sea days. So it's fairly Same intense. Thing over and over. Yeah, and it's very repetitive. And obviously, you can't go off the ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So what I had to remind <laughs> myself to do during that time, which I'm trying to do now whilst I'm on lockdown, is go outside, even if it's just for 15 minutes. Yeah. And I'd go up to the funnel. Um, you know, oh, you know, crew deck, obviously, you know, yeah, crew deck. Yeah, of course. And I just like sit there, no matter how windy or cold it was during the Atlantic. Yeah, just be outside for a little bit just yeah. to get it. Yeah, I did the same thing. <laughs> and like now I just go on walks. Um, and it's kind of nice. Like I'd, I'd do that walk to school I used to do from mm-hmm. when I was 12 to 16 for those four years. I just did that walk to school and now I'm doing mm-hmm. it again. And for those four years, I just did it so automatically. I would get to school sometimes and not remember walking. But now yeah. I'm doing it with more of an appreciation that I'm back at home, living at home again, maybe for the last time before 
whatever happens after this lockdown so it gives you yeah. that appreciation for your surroundings a bit more i guess yeah definitely that that reminds me of when i i first came home um it was around christmas well the, I, oh, I had been home for a little bit but this is when i went to my childhood neighborhood to deliver like christmas treats to everyone and like our old friends in the neighborhood and we we're just riding around on scooters and i was just looking around like like i grew up here and it's it's so interesting to from this outside perspective now of being traveled around the world and everything I've done and then just to come back to where it all started. And it, it, and it's barely even started. Like, I'm only 22 and I've done all these things. It's, I'm not sure what my point is here, but it's said. <laughs> well, I guess it's, I guess your point is like, you described it to me even, it's when you were on chips and you finally arrived home, and you were on chips for maybe a year as a photographer? Yeah, like like almost exactly a year. Yeah. So that's a very distinct amount of time. And in that time, you were you weren't even at home for that long. You maybe went home for four weeks during Christmas. Oh, yeah. Was that right? I, yeah. yeah, Christmas. I um so how it worked is like I joined the Queen Mary. That's where I met you. I was there. Oh, I was only on the Queen Mary for like a month, and then I got transferred to the Victoria. And then I was there for the rest of my six month contract, so like five months there. And then I came home for Christmas and New Year's for four weeks. And then I immediately flew out to Vigo, Spain and joined the Queen Elizabeth there and then met up with you again. And then the whole world tour with that. I'm not sure if I, we, <laughs> you want to talk about that or should I just go down the whole what happened? Well, there? yeah. I mean, I was going to actually start at the beginning on the Queen Mary, but just to pick yeah. up on that last point, it's about how all that whirlwind of a ride in a year, like everything where Seriously. you went to. It's funny how you, you think about that and everything you did and then that that kind of sense of time is lost because everything on ships is is not even you can't really compare it relatively to time normally on land, I guess. So it oh, can yeah, just definitely. pass you by. And then like you said, like for me it's a different sensation where I'd finished university and when I was twenty two I joined the ship joined joined ships and now um you know, recently turning twenty four and it um starting this year i've just had to remind myself that the last two years in chips have gone so quickly yet i've done so much in that time so mm -hmm. yeah time is like kind of relative like that based on experience for sure but then how we met like you said we met on the queen mary too and my first distinct memory of you was thinking he's quite tall <laughs> and <laughs> and uh it was um on the on burma road which for those of you that don't know every cunard merchant ship every cunard ship so the Queen Mary II, the Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Victoria, and there's soon to be another ship. They've got a name for the main crew highway, which is you walk down it every day, no matter what kind of crew member you are. And that's called Burma Road. And it dates back to a saying that they had on the vessels when they were doing repatriation, so like war efforts, I think. And it's as hot as Burma down here. It's, it's as hot as Burma, yeah. And I've yeah. never been to Burma, but I guess it's hot. I don't that even is. know where it is. Central America? Oh, it feels right, but I don't. I don't even know. I yeah, that, that, Google. <laughs> that that feels right. I'd say so, somewhere hot, somewhere close to the equator. <laughs> yeah, I imagine <laughs> a deep, sweaty jungle. Yeah, so that's why it's called Burma Road. That's where me and Jaden met for the first time. It's Asia. Well. Oh, it was Asia. <laughs> it's it, oh man, it doesn't. It's not showing on the map, but I see Thailand, Vietnam. Oh, it's above Thailand. There you go. Never would have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So there, there you are. I mean. Uh, Hopefully one day I might even go to Burma and go along a road in Burma. Even that'd that, be good. That's a good goal. 
<laughs> I haven't had that goal, but now I do. <laughs> add it to the list. So a lot of crew members might have met on Burma Road. Um, mm. They might even be from Burma. Who knows? And then uh, were we directly cabin mates straight away? Yeah, yeah. You, oh, were, we were. you were my yeah. first roommate. Um, I was actually just looking back over my, my journal entry of my first day on board talking about um, oh, cool. what I did. Um, I, I, I joined in New, in New York and then I took a, an Uber to the ship and just remembered the Queen Mary is just massive. It's the biggest ship I'd seen at that point. Now I've, I've, I've seen the biggest ship in the world now. I, I, we were docked with it in Naples. But so I got on board and got shown around stuff. And I think the first photographer I met was Rohan. And then, and then I met Connor and then I was introduced to you. And I, I can't remember where we, where on the ship we met. I feel like it might've just been our room. I think I was in there and you just, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember remember the moment, the, like the exact moment. Cause I I only remember the exact moment because I was surprised because I knew you were joining that day because any cabin, um, any crew member on board, if they know that someone's joining that day and they know that they're going to be their cabin mate, there's like a particular sense of, uh, not, um, anxiety. That's the bad, that's not a good word. That's what I was going to say, but it's, it's just the new. Yeah, exactly. The fear of the unknown a little bit, but not in the, you're not really scared. You're just a little, you know, a little nervous new person who's going to be sleeping in your room. Yeah, exactly. They're going to be a bad roommate or not. And, and you're going to be like living quite intimately with them. Basically everything but sharing a bed. So, <laughs> I mean, would you consider a bunk bed sharing a bed? I mean, kind of. It's like I guess so, in a way. <laughs> just it's like the, the same bed, but not. You're not sharing a mattress. It's just different <laughs> levels of the bed. Yeah, different levels. Yeah, <laughs> that's so. Funny. Yeah, for that reason, you've got to. Is is kind of like look at the draw. I I I mean, speaking for myself, I've been really lucky with every single roommate I've had. Just yeah, me too. Just lucky. And that's why I remember because I'd come up accidentally at the precise time Connor, as you mentioned, was bringing you mm-hmm. towards the stair where, where our cabins were on the ship. Um, yeah, that, that seems right. And so, yeah, I was like, oh, there's, there's my new cabin, mate. There's the person I'm potentially spending the next five months of my life. Or no, not five months by that point. It might have been <laughs> At that three point, months. it was only like a month. Yeah. And then, and then we didn't know if we'd see each other again. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh my gosh, we're roommates again. Oh yeah, that's the thing about ships in general, and I mentioned it a little bit on the first podcast. But everything's so connected. Oh yeah. So I never thought I'd see you again after you left on the, to go on the Victoria. Yeah. And just by chance, I remember being docked with the Queen Elizabeth, <laughs> and you'd put all your belongings that you wanted transshipped from the Queen Victoria to the Queen Elizabeth in a big oh yeah box. my box. And on that cardboard box was a picture of Jaden dressed up as a bellboy, like doing like a salute or something. And I remember seeing that box with your face on it and like de- to be delivered to the QE um, from Salt Lake City, Utah, what that, this, that, and the other. And I was like, what? How did I not know about this? And then obviously <laughs> it just clicked in my head that you'll be joining, you'll be my cabin mate again. And then that kind of sense of um, foreboding you might have about a new cabin mate joining, if you've already lived with them, then it's just... Oh, yeah completely gone like you, you don't feel that anymore so yeah, yeah that was that was a really nice surprise um, yeah so then just going back to that the first day you joined the queen mary too you met rohan you met connor both photographers then you met me and then you went to the cabin um mm-hmm. cabin b606 
I remember. Oh, was that the number? I can't that remember. Was it. De- De- I couldn't De- even remember it when I was there. I just had to like remember where the door was. I'm like, I think it's this one. And if my yeah. card didn't work, I went down to the next one. <laughs> you just kind of feel your way around kinesthetically on cruise ships after a certain point. Because everyone's yeah, the same. That's something I wanted to bring up is uh just how confusing cruise ships are. Like like I, I wanted after being on it for months and like you're like, oh, it's so simple. All these hallways go somewhere. But when you first get there, it's just winding hallways that go everywhere. And I got lost so many times. But it's like the ship's not that big. But I don't know. Yeah, but it is big relatively because all the corridors and hallways are quite narrow. So. Yeah, they just wind and wind. It's it's wild. I that I'm I tried to go to as many spots on the ship as I could, just walking the hallways, and I still feel like I probably haven't been to like 25% of the ship. I feel like there's still a lot of the areas of the ship that I just didn't even get to just because yeah. I didn't know how or because it's locked. But I'd but say yeah. it's maybe bigger than 25% when you, when you take into account. Oh yeah. The whole down under. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a whole world down there. I was lucky enough to go down there once for a sort of behind the scenes filming um, thing mm-hmm. I had to do. And oh, I remember <laughs> when you did that. I was so angry at myself for um, accidentally formatting the SD card. So, the, <laughs> oh man, oh no! So for all the pictures I took down there, uh, fortunately not the video because I I wrangled the video before I accidentally deleted the, the pictures. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a whole world down there, and the stuff they get up to. Maybe it's something for another podcast. Um, but yeah. I couldn't even go into detail. And anyway, everything was just so completely beyond my breadth of knowledge. There's like you said, there's so much to a ship you don't realize, and then having to like figure that out, this this like microcosm of a world, in your first weeks on board, no one really shows you. Like I'm sure I might have shown you around the basics, but yeah, no one is really there for that experience you have to have when you figure that life out for yourself. So I don't know mm-hmm. if you want to like talk about that a little bit. How did you figure it out? Like what were your first hours like? What was your first oh. week like? Yeah, well, if we just pick up from after I met you you pretty much dropped me off at the cabin and you left somewhere. And it was the first <laughs> moment I was alone after the whole, the whole trip, you know, when you're traveling and you're just go, go, go. And it's just like airport, get here. I got to get here. Da, 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 da. You get there. I finally get to the cabin that go, oh, here's your sheets. And then I remember just going up to, I was on the top bunk and I just put my head down and just like, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. But it, it, it was, it was a lot of stress. Those like, first two weeks maybe a little bit more it's just you have no idea this this world you're coming into and you're just learning so much and meeting so many people and learning how to act and then getting all your five-star training and it's just so much going on it's so much stress and I understand why there's some people who like I've, I've known people like other photographers who like started and then like two weeks later they quit and it's like it's it's a lot of pressure but Seriously. if you make it through it's once you know what you're doing like further down the line i'm probably three months in i remember walking down the halls of the victoria and being like you know i think i finally got the hang of this like and I, i'm actually like i felt happy and there were so many times i was like i didn't know what i was doing so i felt like i wasn't a functional member of the team and everyone was just like pulling me along but then there was a point where you actually get responsibilities and i was in charge of the photo locker and i was actually organizing stuff and doing things and it's just that progression of growth to feeling more confident doing things and and it's only it only grew and grew from there um 
man, I feel like I'm skipping a little bit talking about going further, but, um, no, I don't, I think that's perfect. It's like, I can completely obviously relate, but yeah, what you're kind of saying is any like new experience kind of, you just become naturally accustomed to it eventually, like Mm -hmm. to a much more extreme degree like you can put people in anywhere in, in any scenario and they more or less generally will adapt to it yeah. it's just their mind that maybe pre- pre- precludes them from having that initial like leap of faith that you had joining mm-hmm. the queen mary in new york and then staying on there past the week or two week period that other photographers yeah. have been known to quit and yeah. photography is actually a relatively relatively easy ride on board compared to like oh, yeah. the people that work in laundry or the people that would work in the in housekeeping, housekeeping. Yeah. yeah so you know props to those guys who are working <laughs> yeah. insane hours and never get Seriously. enough support i would call um i would call photography like the middle ground if you're talking like best positions on ship i think it probably goes uh, it's hard to t- tell with like uh, officers and stuff. I haven't really put that into account very much. But if you're saying like, I'd say musicians, the cast, photographers, uh, then maybe like the 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 kids. The oh god, why am I spacing on the youth, names? The youth youthies, workers, youthies, yeah. yeah, youth workers. Um, but yeah, we were like this middle ground. It's like we barely made it past this threshold of like like we were allowed to go to the. Um, Oh, what's it called? The the <laughs> I'm spacing all these things. I haven't thought about them for a second. I had to go. I remember we had this exact conversation actually, and it ties yeah. in to, to a point I've got about life on board as a photographer. And I remember us being sat in the Golden Lion pub. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. what you were referring to, but we were there. We just finished work, and obviously, like people listening, will most likely have a mutual like friendship with us. But then beyond that, there's people that probably don't know what it's like to live and work on board. And this weird rank structure that doesn't, oh, yeah. that can't be applied at all to like the military, even though some yeah. people like to compare it to the military, is a completely different ranking structure. Where, as mm-hmm. you said, you have officers and then you have crew members. And as a photographer, you are put under the category of crew member. But that doesn't necessarily. Well, I'd, mean- I'd say there's a, a third one. I'd say like you have like officers, then you have staff, and then crew. Oh, that's I, it. Yeah, yeah. Because that that'd be the same thing with like um where we would eat. There was like two separate places, like a big place that was for the just basic crew, and it was usually just the Filipino guys. And then you go over to the other side and it was a smaller room, and that's where all the staff would be, like the musicians and the cast and stuff. And it it almost did feel like this weird uh segregation thing, but it wasn't like hateful. I don't know how to explain it, but it was a little strange. There's a very, it. I guess it's almost, can, could be seen as, like you're saying, prejudice in a way. Because yeah. who's to say, for example, you've got the officer's mess, then you have the staff mess, which is where photographers would eat, like you said, with similar ranking people, like mm-hmm. musicians, and then you've got um, the crew mess. And by that rank structure in itself, there's nothing that really separates people more in a way than where they eat, I guess. Mm-hmm. And we weren't allowed in the officer's mess. If we were to go in there, we'd be like, maybe even disciplined. And Yeah, I, I don't, I've never tried to go in. I, I don't know yeah. what would happen if you just tried to sit down in there. You'd just sit next to the captain. And then what would the <laughs> yeah. looks be? But who's to say then, for example, there's other people in the officer's mess that 
maybe work less hours than photographers, definitely work mm-hmm. less hours than housekeeping, maybe functionally on the ship aren't as important. Like, as the, the people who drive the lifeboats, class as crew members, mm-hmm. eating the crew mess, their their ranks and deck privileges are completely below even what our deck privileges might be as photographers, where we can still oh, enjoy yeah. and go to the wardroom at, at night for drinks with officers for that. Yeah. Know, and that's one example. So there's this weird kind of rank of strict, strictly where people can go and where crew members and officers can like mix and uh, socialize. But then like, then like my second point is there's this social structure and deck, which relates to deck privileges where, you know, musicians and photographers and then, a lot of officers are kind of seen on the same level. So it's it's a very mm-hmm. weird, you have to live it to completely understand it, I guess. But Yeah, the deck privileges was an interesting thing. Like you have crew members who weren't even allowed to go into like guest areas. And it's like, it's this weird thing because like, like I said, we were on such a middle line. I think the next person, to, if we were just one little bit rank up or something, I think we'd be in the same position as the people who work in the art gallery. I'm pretty sure they could go to the officer's mess. Yeah, they, they could, yeah. yeah. But, like, how much more different? It's like, I don't know. I'll, I'll get back to you if I end up working in the art gallery. Yeah. <laughs> to see the, see the difference between a photographer and the art gallery, how much more work or less that we're doing. But from my experience as a photographer, we worked really hard. And almost, like, we got a good deal, but also I felt like we, we deserved just a little bit more. Like, the, there was no reason we couldn't be in that officer's mess exactly. and like a lot of, we knew so many people in there that i feel like almost would have like fought for us it's, it's kind of the same thing us. yeah with the wardy that's like the officer's bar we were allowed in there and at, at a certain point i didn't even feel scared going in there by myself but there's certain people that if they walked in maybe they would say something but i've also heard a lot of people say that like oh, we don't really enforce that rule it's like it's only if there's just people like being annoying or something it's just to have the rule just in case they need to kick someone out yeah i don't but know even having it's that rule in the first place yeah it just it just basically i guess it sums up how rank and responsibility on board cruise ships maybe don't exactly line up in a weird no. way I, i'm completely comfortable to accept that like most of the people that work on the bridge, like the captain, the officers and all that, okay, they're, they're pretty important. <laughs> they can eat in their little mess if they like to. But beyond yeah. that, everybody's the same on the cruise ships. And the beauty of it is when you all socialize together in the crew bar where everybody is allowed, no one's got stripes on their shoulder, really. Mm-hmm. And everybody's the same, even though they're from Utah or Canada or the Philippines or India or wherever. Yeah. It's all... The same, and that's what you kind of miss the most on board, really. I don't know. Well, that's maybe a good question. Whilst we're on lockdown now, and you're thinking on, you know, about life as a photographer, what do you miss about your life as life as a photographer the most? Well, I don't know about so much the photography part, but just like the social part and having just these mindsets of people, of more people who just agreed with me, like um, here in Utah. I'm sure like we, we have the Mormons here and me, I grew up Mormon, but I left the church. I pulled my records when I was 18. And, uh, so had being back here and being back to these, like the, the, the people in Utah, like Mormons are some of the nicest people you'll meet, but also there were some of the most judgmental people you'll ever meet. 
over the tiniest little things that if you if you leave even the state, you get out of this bubble, no one cares. Like even right now, I have like a little glass of wine and this is nothing anywhere else in the world. It's a completely normal thing to have. But just having these tiny things because these people have been raised to to think these ways, they think that these things are bad, that it's just such a taboo thing here. But then when I go to ships and I talk with people and they're just like, like, oh, yeah, like, like, say, like, like, I left the church. I'm an atheist. I t- tell someone that like, oh, yeah, I don't believe God. And they're like, oh, yeah, me too. And it's like, what? You're like older than me and think that I remember I was on a tour in Rome and with a bunch of guests and they were all like 40 plus. And I was talking with them and a little nervous, like they, it always comes up. I have no way to get away from it. I say I'm from Utah. They ask me if I'm Mormon. We get into talking about religion. I'm not trying to spew it out and just like whatever, but it just happens naturally. And the nice thing was I was sitting there talking and they all agreed with me. They're like, oh yeah, there's, there's probably not a God. It's all right. Like it's, it was such a relief. It's like, whoa, you're like older than me and think these things usually aren't. I'm fighting with old people because they in Utah, they're probably Mormon. And it's just like there's so many other viewpoints that they have that are different. So I think the biggest thing is just having all these outside viewpoints that aren't inside this this bubble of Utah. Yeah, it's, it's expanding that circle of influence. So there's a there's a whole world outside of Utah and Mormonism that a lot of people in Utah and who are Mormon will never know and they they might even not care to know but they will never know it anyway and living on a cruise ship and working just traveling in general broadens the mind as people say oh yeah definitely so i mean that's definitely something i miss but i never had that upbringing of uh, like a religious background to the i mean maybe you want to just go and sort of vibe on that a little bit about mormonism and about how oh yeah because it's really interesting and i know like you're probably sick to death of explaining to it no, of talking no. about it because I remember you've you've you talked to me about it a lot. Obviously, sharing a cabin yeah. with each other, you talk about religion <laughs> and these kind of big <laughs> issues. Um, but that whole process, I think, links to having that leap of faith and mindset to just think I'm going to go on a cruise ship and travel the world and work on board, and you yeah. know, whatever happens, happens. That leap of faith wouldn't have happened, I don't think. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think yeah, it would I... happened if you hadn't left Mormonism, maybe. Is that, yeah, that's oh, I, I definitely see it that way because if I would have followed the track of what a good Mormon boy is supposed to do, I was, I mean, the whole reason I started questioning the church was I was, they changed the missionary age from 19 to 18. And uh, I was in high school and I was like, oh shit. Oh, by the way, is it, are we swearing on this podcast? Or? Oh yeah, genuinely <laughs> like there's there's no kind of, can, you know okay. censorship at all so cool. go for it i'll say, say that again <laughs> oh shit <laughs> um i i'm probably gonna be leaving i'll be going on a mission i don't even know if i believe these things how can i go out and preach to people and convert people if i don't even know that this thing's true so i took a step back and i researched every religion i could just to see what they believe and see the differences and uh the things that were the same in all these religions and when i came back to Mormonism, it was like, it was just like any other religion. They all thought they were the one true church, but they can't all be the one true church. So I went through deciding which ones I thought true. And eventually once I came back, like I I didn't really believe in any of those. And I came back to Mormonism and I was like, I don't really believe in this either. And then that gets into a whole different thing of 
like church history and things, which I won't get into now because it's too much and I could I could talk about for hours. But it's it's I see it as like a bookshelf. There's just one thing after another of just things that like, "Mm, you know, that doesn't seem right. Like, oh, Joseph Smith had a bunch of wives, you know, maybe maybe that I could go on believing this. But then there's other things. It's like, oh, the church isn't really fond of gay people. And they've made that very clear. And it's like, there's just so many different things that it just like one thing after another, it builds up your shelf and then eventually the shelf breaks and you just can't put up with that bullshit anymore. It's just too much. That's an amazing analogy about the bookshelf because it, yeah. it reminds me of an analogy that if anybody's listened to the Jogger, if anybody's listened to the Jogger podcast, they'll, they'll understand it and I listened to it a bunch and that's the main reason why I started this podcast. But he refers to the analogy that um, in war, a soldier, everybody has a cup. And in those extreme circumstances or in in most circumstances in general, it can be applied to, but everybody has a cup and everybody's cups a different size. And once you fill that cup up with water, eventually it will start overflowing. And then once the cup's overflowing with water, you can't just put the water back in because there's too much water in it. So, you know too much. Yeah, I I haven't heard that that analogy too, but that that's really good too. I almost like that more. Well, I've forgotten who said it now. I think it was Colonel Custer. I'd have to look it up proper, like properly. Um, Colonel Custer. Yeah, and like uh, ice cream flavor. I know. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a not not a war analogy off the top of your head, but that's that's the kind of the point is. There's a breaking point with everybody, and a lot of people in religion. Or in, in a lot of people um, in their hometown or a lot of people in their job, they don't ever reach that breaking point that makes them just click, I guess. And your your yeah. not breaking point, that's the wrong way to look at it. Your moment of clarity, you could say. That's probably more mm-hmm. accurate. Your moment of clarity yeah. was going on that mission. And that's a real tangent where you're like because a mission, as my understanding is you you're just you're just sent off almost like on a cruise ship you were sent off to go on a contract, but you'd be set off to just go on like this two little adventure for two years. Oh my God. Two years. For women, it's like a year and a half or something, but for men, it's it's two years. You get your mission call and it's, they, they say like the, like the, the presence of the church will, uh, that you'll pray and then you get your mission call and that's where God wants to send. But then there's so many times like <laughs> you see someone like you have these big mission call openings where all the family gets together and you have the envelope that's from the church it's telling you where you're going to go. They open it up oh my and God. then they're like, uh, you have been called to serve in Boise, Idaho. Like it's, it's, <laughs> they actually have an envelope. That's like a game show almost like you have to open yeah. that envelope. It's like the Oscars and your mission is Burma. You're going to Burma. Yeah, and could- then you have no choice in the matter where you're going and you, you get sent there. Who decides where you go? Is it just a um, guy with a dart and a map? And they just they, I assume that's what it's like. I, for I mean, if you got like the true church answer, what they'd say is like they pray about it and God tells them, and it's like where they're supposed to go. It's like their purpose, you know. But in all reality, I almost feel like it just has to be like oh, we we need a missionary here. Let's send someone here. It's just it's all numbers probably, and just just trying to get them out. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, so yeah. Um, I have, I thought of something else. Um, we're going back to being on ships and just talking with people with outside views and people who haven't even heard about Mormonism. I remember a specific time we were having a cabin party. I, th- I think you were there. I can't remember. Anyways, um, 
No, because Daniela was there and she wasn't on the Victoria with me. So this had to have been Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just had like a group of six people in this cabin party. And uh, I, for like 45 minutes, I just had their full attention, just giving it like in-depth history of the church. And no, I was there. I remember that. Yeah. We were sat on the bunk bed, on the lower yeah. bunk, the bunk bed. And uh-huh. um, I, can, I can remember there was a Ben Keen there, musician, and loads of other photographers. It was actually just a cabin party of photographers and musicians, actually, which is quite yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Very, like, a creative bunch, I guess. And I remember that. We were all captivated by the story. And I remember Daniela, our friend, who will mm-hmm. be on this show at some point. I, oh, I yeah. love her. I, I, how audacious I can actually Dude, do we all got to go down here. That would, yeah. that would be so good <laughs> yeah. if we could just all get Everybody from that cabin party, actually. It'd be good to have <laughs> Yeah, seriously. But she said, and everybody agreed instantly, it wasn't, wasn't necessarily the story, I guess. It was very interesting. Mormonism, how you left the church and all that. But it's how you told it. Mm-hmm. And that's what captured everybody in the room. So, I mean, yeah, the storytelling is a real skill. And if you have Definitely. that, I, I will envy anybody who has that because I tend to <laughs> I tend to waffle and go on tangents, as everybody can probably hear right now. <laughs> no, it's definitely a skill just to to keep people's imagination, to keep them from getting bored and just like to see, to to look around and have all these people, all these eyes on you. It's It's a thrilling. I felt so alive in that moment telling these stories and like I was just going and going and it wasn't even like I was thinking about it it was just like natural just came out of you. yeah it's been something I've I've been studying for so long and now that I'm talking to people who don't know anything about it and I'm not going to get like these like side glances of like judgment for for telling actually like the, the true story it's it's nice you know just to to talk to outside voices about this who just don't know the lingo or whatever yeah absolutely so then does mormonism does that define not define you i guess but that is a big part of your life so the jane roosh that is now that's been on cruise ships that's grown up in utah that exists today how much would you grant or give credit to mormonism for who you are i guess is what i'm trying to say um, well, I mean, there, there's lots of things like there's good parts about the church. There's good parts about any religion. But, um, for me, the, the big breaking point of, of the building of my character, I think was questioning the church and it's become, it's became a almost, almost a problem for me, but I, I don't regret it. It's like having an issue with authority. And I think that's where it stems from is these big voices up on the hill telling me what I need and don't need to do. And looking into them and the reasoning of like, Hey, like that actually question everything and get down to it. Like, you know, does this actually make sense? Is this a realistic thing? Or is this just a straight up lie? Is this just trying to control people? Is this, it's, it, there's so many layers that you have to undergo to, um, figure out like what you actually believe. Cause it's, it's a lifestyle change to just leave the church and that's why i think a lot of people don't leave the church is because they ha- they could have their doubts but then they come to questioning things and it's such a thing of and i still deal with this on um, i want to say a daily basis but pretty frequently it's like i clash with family or or someone over this and it's still a taboo thing and it's caused so much stress even in my life but there's no way i could go back because i'm being the truest me i can be and I can't just lie to myself and act like the bookshelf isn't broken. Um, yeah, because it's all about who you are and to 
fix the bookshelf is just completely denying that, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's that I do give the church that credit, I guess, of making me a rebellious person. Although I, I almost feel like that might've been just something on its own, but who knows? You, you can't really tell those things of what or what you want to have been depending on what happens in your life, how much you are a product of your environment or how much is actually like, would you still be you if you weren't raised in the places you were? Like if you, if you were raised in Saudi Arabia, you'd probably be Muslim without even questioning it. Yeah. And like just to the, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I, I guess what you're saying is, it's like, is it behavioral or is it like innate? Who you are? Like, would you? Is yeah. Jade, was Jaden Rouge always meant to be like a rebellious person that questioned authority, or was it the upbringing? And I tend to believe that yeah. it's a mixture between environmental and behavioral variables in a person's upbringing that determines who they are. That's kind of yeah. like, the nature versus nurture. Ex- yeah, that's it. I knew there was like a succinct way of saying that: <laughs> nature yeah. versus yeah. nurture, and. It's really interesting. I studied it for a little while in the whole nature-nurture debate. And particularly it was more towards how people turn evil and how they just become criminals and murderers. Mm-hmm. And what what kind of makes that happen? Because when you go past things like leaving the church, for example, or going on cruise ships or having the issues with authority, those are like very character-based things in a way. But then when it comes mm-hmm. to murder, I think that's a very like animalistic trait to have. And that's almost like, yeah. I can see how that, that in a way can be nurture, um, can be nature. It can just yeah. be maybe your genes because there's a light switch that just, you know, like fight or flight. Some people just don't have the ability to pull the trigger or to get that knife or just to have that, to have that moment when they just see the red mist and actually kill someone. I, I guess a yeah. very small percentage of people have the right combination of environmental things that then led to them to be put in that moment where then their natural instincts led led them to pull the trigger so it's a bit of a balance but like you said i i guess it is more more nurture but then some people just have that natural instinct for things i guess so you might have always been a a rebellious person is what i'm trying to say (laughs) yeah i think what i'm trying to say is it's hard to tell what type of person you would have been if you weren't raised in the environment that you were like, you could have been raised anywhere and you'd be completely different. How much would you, you, who, what makes you, you is really what it gets down to it. Are you born you or are you created from the habitat you're in and what you're taught either by your parents or just by society's rules of what's, what's okay. And what's not. That's a, it's almost a, disturbing question because it kind of makes you think is any decision therefore your own yeah what comes down to it of of what makes us like when i feel happy it's literally just like some chemicals being squirted into my brain dopamine (laughs) i'm like oh oh i feel good there's no (laughs) which been squirted with happiness oh (laughs) yeah like oh he's kind of sad but he's doing something he likes give him that drug man and and then you just get this high without even you know actually (laughs) taking something else in your body yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah that was a whole tangent I know, but it is important because I I often find myself thinking, is what 
I feel right now, or is this decision my own? Oh, yeah. That's a really like important. I think any decisions that you make in life that are your own and that you stick to are often probably the decisions that you don't regret, that you look back on as like, that was a really good thing I did. And Mm -hmm. like you said, and like you've just described, that whole thing of breaking the bookshelf, leaving the church, you probably think that's a, that was your decision. Mm-hmm. And that's been led to be one of the best decisions you've ever made, I guess. So yeah. there's a lot to be said for that. And I guess if you can detach and assess the situation and, and think, is this decision is this decision my own? You're almost halfway there to sort of getting rid of all the variables around your upbringing that you can't help and getting to, towards the real thing that you want and that you actually would have wanted no matter what the scenario was and and are more yeah. in tune with who you are, I guess. So that's a very hard thing to, to master. But I, you do it very well. It's like I said in this introduction, you're very good at being yourself. That's one of the things that everybody on board the ship, because the social aspect of working on ships, everybody gets an idea about, okay, so this person's an introvert. This person will be the life and soul of the crew bar. This one, this person's really clever. Everybody would say, oh, yeah, Jaden, oh, he's really chill. He's he's just so, like, in tune. He, he's He's got it. He's got it figured out, people would say. So I guess that's maybe because you've, yeah, you've realized how to be you, I guess. Yeah, well, I, it's it's more of like a, oh man, I just spaced on everything I was going to say because I just remembered the thing. Maybe I'll just talk about when we were talking about the whole uh, free will kind of thing. I remember thinking as a kid, like I played The Sims a lot. <laughs> and I was like, how do we know we're not just the sims and someone's up there just like ah yeah we're gonna make him use the bathroom not because uh he needs to but because i said so but he's gonna feel like it was his idea like all we know sims could be sentient and just living their life and then when they feel like oh you know i want a snack it's like they go over and get it and they think it was their idea but really there was this like (laughs) the the creator of the game or whatever was the one pushing that, but you don't even realize it. You think it's your own. It's the illusion of free will in a sense. The illusion of free but, um, will. I like that. That's a really good way of looking at it. The illusion. Everything's an illusion, really, if you think about it. Yeah, we, 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 we're we put in this world thinking we have control of things, but how much of it is actually control? Or like it's in the same sense of like, oh, it was it was meant to be. Like things were supposed to happen that way. But really it could just be this whole chain of events and that's just how it happened to happen and you had no control over it you could be dead and these things would still be happening without you and i think you could look at it that in a negative way like oh that's kind of sad though universe doesn't need me but also you're here and you're doing your thing and you can see it in the sense of you just been put into this simulation for whatever reason and it doesn't even have to be a reason like oh there's a there's a god who loves you and has a plan for you it could just be hey you're we gain these these monkeys their brains got too big and all these neurons firing creates the process of or the illusion of consciousness and there's just so much going on that we've become sentient and like we get these weird byproducts like anxiety and fear and stuff i mean like but but they were built in evolutionary to i mean i'm also just spouting off i could be completely wrong no, but, this sounds um, this sounds correct, at least. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh fuck, where was I? You're about like um, sentient beings and the illusion of free will and evolution, really. Yeah, 
you, you're on this like in the, almost like a simulation as much as we see the world around us and what we've built and it feels so real it could all just be fake and we're we're just here experiencing it and i think that's just the coolest thing that we have this chance to experience whatever this is and i think you should just make the the most of of this thing not because you're trying to impress some god who you might or might not meet after you die and i think all these things are just things to make us feel better when because we don't know we're, we're all making up these stories of like oh what's, what's coming after man i'm scared like i, I don't want to die i don't want to just go into the deep forever nothing and just you know whatever it was like before we we're born i mean um yeah i mean it's just like you gotta treat just take life for everything that it is and make the best of it and push yourself to get what you want out of life like the meaning of life the meaning of life is whatever you want it to be there's not a solid thing no one can just be like yeah the meaning of life get a job go to college have kids get married uh work 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 die like that's that's for some people that's what they want to do if that makes them happy that's that's cool i just there's a lot more than i want to do in my life there's so much in this world to give especially from trying the world you see what's around this world and what's what what you could be capable of just by continuing and doing what you want to do and just living by living life on your own terms i guess yeah there's nothing holding you back if you want to do something do it and but like make sure you know everything you can i like for me and how you said like like people compare you say i'm such like a chill person and stuff and i think it's because i just think and think and think through things until it makes sense and i don't stop thinking about it until i feel i've mastered it and it's it's just this whole process of working through things and figuring out how to like it's like like if you're feeling you feel these these emotions like anxiety or uh things like that and you just like you have to look in at yourself and be like hey why why do i feel like this what can i do to get around this and it, like another like like jealousy like jealousy is such a powerful thing that can control us but if you just get around and realize like 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 oh hey uh i'm dating this girl and i don't like that she's talking to this other guy but it's also like she's living her life and like if that makes them happy to talk to each other that's cool she makes me happy when i talk to her and like we can all talk together and work through this together and i'm not really sure where my point was going with that but i i get it though exactly because you what you're saying is <laughs> you can't control people's feelings you can only control your own first of all and so mm -hmm. i wish i could remember it there was this really good quote by bob marley i saw on facebook the other day about this exactly and about relationships so as we've kind of like on this subject we've gone on about you know our own free will we can't mm -hmm. control the, the other people's free will we can't no matter how much societal western society anyway will say you know once you're married you you can't just go around and cheat on someone because you're married now but then who are we to say as people that this ring on our fingers means that you know we have to be completely attached to each other for the rest of our lives obviously yeah. i think there's a part of humans that we we are one of those beings that are kind of programmed to have a partner so i think maybe like intrinsically well, we're, we're kind of meant to 
that that's what makes us feel happy having a partner like that. But at the same time, there's mm-hmm. nothing that says that that's how it should be. And so you can't control people's mm-hmm. free will. So if someone's in love with you right now, or you're in love with someone, that's great. But you can't expect that just to last forever because society says so. Because if that person's yeah. happier being with someone else, then that's how it's just, that's their life. And you can't. And maybe that's how it should yeah, be. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Can, you can try and keep someone in your life. But when it comes down to it, if you're not happy or they're not happy, what are you really doing there? Exactly. And. Well, and when you come back to like, when you were saying like, we're almost programmed to want to be in like these monogamous relationships, it it's almost like, it's not necessarily like a, a nature thing. I don't think it is. I think this is a societal thing of since like the romantic age of like men being gentlemen and going and swooing the lady and it's a happily ever after. Like we've, we were raised with these Disney stories of like, you find your prince charming and you stay together forever. And like, Maybe that's not how, like, like you can totally do that. And there totally are like relationships that work like that and they're fine. But then there's also like you, there's so many people on this planet that need love or want love and you want your own love. And it's almost feels limiting to love one person to just stick with one person till the end. Even if you're like fighting, even if like you, you, of course there's stuff you have to work through, through any relationship, but no, there, there's. There's so much in this world to experience and it feels limiting to just put yourself in one position and stick with that forever. And it's it's the same thing with like jobs. Like I haven't stayed at a job for more than a year. I well, I've done the same job. Like I've I'm I've been dental assisting for four almost five years now, but not at the same office. I, I stayed at one office for a year and then left and then I I tempt and went to a bunch of different offices all around. So I know most of the dental offices in Salt Lake, I've, I've worked at a lot of them. So you can get a full experience of what you actually want out of a dental office or out of a partner to buy. It's just like, I mean, even, even in Mormonism, they talk about like, Oh, you need to date a lot of people to see who you want to marry. And I remember very specifically like the stake president who's like one higher than the Bishop who's like, a priest basically um he was talking he was trying to convince all us like 15 16 year olds who were just starting dating and a lot of us were just getting girlfriends and staying with one girlfriend and he was basically like no you need to go out and experience all these different things like you don't just get one ice cream flavor and stick <laughs> with that ice cream flavor you go around and try all these different ones and then but then i i recently just had this thought like but then you don't just try all of them and then just stick to one forever it's opinions change. I don't know. Yeah. It's limited. And then you as a person, like you can even say like, like who I am right now is not going to be the same person I am when I'm 40. It's, I mean, I'll generally be the same. I'll, I'll have just grown as a person. And, but will I have want the same things that I want now? You can't tell these things. It's uh yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is limiting to put all your happiness and, maybe you're people do this people put their life into their partner their other person and then like you said yeah. if people mature and then want different things and want different things from life and you've got so much invested in the other person you can then end up feeling obligated to stay with them for reasons mm-hmm. that you don't really believe in but you just are doing it because by this point well you know it makes sense now too late you're too deep in yeah which is why i guess it, 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 we, we're kind of in a fortunate situation where 
we're young where we don't have those kind of ties to another person but looking ahead yeah. and for people that do not that we're trying to say that is a bad thing it's, a, it's it's not a bad thing definitely not you can definitely be happy just with one person i guess that kind of ties us on to um let's see what could so it's really it's really funny how as we're talking it's like we're just naturally going through everything i kind of had prepared anyway so it's, it's yeah. really good. All right. Okay. So here you are. So then kind of moving on from, because that went very like philosophical, which is good, obviously. Oh yeah. That's that great. way I wasn't even expecting to talk about these things. But which is, I mean, cool. I like where conversations go like that sometimes, especially when it's unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. But then I'm interested to know what, what made you creative and what kind of started you to pick up a camera and was it a camera you picked up first or was it a paintbrush? So just where did this creative process kind of start with you? Yeah. Um, I mean, with like photography, like I did um, like competitions in elementary school where I'd just go take some pictures of things. I, I made it to state with a couple of things, but I never really considered myself a photographer or even an artist in any sense. It wasn't until I was in college only like two years ago that um, I was doing my generals and I was hating life. And then the next semester came up and I was like, fuck it. I'm, I'm just going to take a bunch of art classes. So I took oil painting. I took color theory. I took 3d design. I took some other, I also took photography. I ended up failing that class because <laughs> I already knew so much. It, I went in there thinking it was going to be an advanced class and it wasn't. I came in and the first day I'm like, this is how you take a picture. You press the shutter release. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, that me and the, the teacher had the same like high end camera and all these other people having their like little rebel compact, t3i's or whatever digital, yeah compact yeah like the very basic stuff because i mean they're just starting but i've already been doing photography for like a year or two before that just messing around and even how i even first picked up a camera was uh my first serious girlfriend she had a camera and she was just like she wasn't she didn't consider herself a photographer but she was just messing around and i started messing around with her camera and i'm like oh this is this is cool and not going to lie, I felt like I could do it better. So <laughs> when I, when I finally invested a little bit and got my first camera, which is a Rebel T3i, I started messing around with that. I start, I, st I did astro photography first. So I'd just go drive up into the mountains as far as I could just to get the darkest dark I could find to take these, these pictures of the stars. And that's why I started. And it was just that thrill of, uh, you set your shutter all the timing and stuff and you finally get it right. You hold it and then you're sitting there, the shutter's open and it's just dark and you just wait and wait and then just, you hear it close and then you see this very bright, vivid picture. Well, sometimes depending, but then you just see all these stars that you wouldn't normally see and you're just like, wow, that's so cool. But then I got kind of bored with that after a while and moved on. I started taking pictures of people and realized there was just so much more emotion in these photos because you have this person but you also have the background that's a that's a thing but there's just so much more pleasing to the eye for me is just looking at people i think people are beautiful and it's just something that needs captured and it's these tiny facial expressions that i liked to capture and it, i think that was that was the difference that i felt with my photography was was trying to capture these looks in the eyes or these small little details of the face. And it wasn't necessarily that it's like, like I, I didn't take a lot of pictures of people smiling. Like it was mostly like that, that model kind of straight face look, but it's, 
it's something different and it's not just a dead face. There's still this look in the eyes you're, you're trying to go for. There's like the, the slight curve of their lips or something. But, um, yeah, so that's how I, I start out from photography. I just, I did it myself. I looked up videos on YouTube. I've never taken a class in my life except for the one that I failed. <laughs> and I almost feel like that was, uh, is meant to be, it was kind of like a Steve Jobs dropping out of college, Mark Zuckerberg kind of thing. I, I, I kind of see it that way. It's like, I was, <laughs> well, that's how having, yeah, that's how all the great people kind of distinguish themselves. They realize they're in the crowd, they're in this majority and they want to, it's literally one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain. When you find yourself on the side of majority, it's time to pause and reflect. And by the sounds of it, you, oh, yeah. you've done this a lot, you know, not that you're a college dropout. That's not what like, you know, you're trying to say defines you, even though you, no, you are. No, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I did drop out of college, yeah. but it wasn't because I'm like, fuck this, this is dumb. It was yeah. like, I just had other stuff I was doing. Well, I, I went for my, I went down to Southern Utah and that's, I stayed there for a year and I did my two semesters there. And then I probably would have stayed longer, but then I figured out ships and then I left for ships. So it wasn't necessarily that, like I, I may go back to school someday, but it's, it's going to be a very, I'm not going to go in there to do just random busy work. I'm going to go in there to better myself, to push my art artistic abilities or save and like maybe take some business classes just to understand how to market my yeah. artistic abilities. So, um, well, I guess that's half the yeah. battle, even with, with artists in general, they have the talent, but maybe not the ability to put themselves out there. That definitely has been the hardest part. And I, I have to say, I haven't even mastered that yet. That's not even something like, like I made some money off of photography, but luckily I was still living with my parents when I was, I was first starting off just like taking pictures for people. So it wasn't that big a deal that I wasn't making bank off these things. It was just, it was just amazing that I was being paid for it in general. Yeah. So yeah, that's went to college. Um, I, I had, was doing photography. Then I went, I was like, Oh, uh, I've been on cruises as a kid. I'd seen, like, I knew it'd be cool to work on a cruise ship. And I was like, what would I do? I thought about being a waiter for a while. Did you? And I was like, yeah, just before I even picked up photography, oh, but right. then, um, the, then it was a pretty obvious choice once I was a photographer that I was like, this is something that I can do. And I felt like there, it wasn't even a question. Like my resume was not to brag, but really well put together. I had like my, my, I, I put all my photos, like I had two pages. The first page was just like a, a block, like three in a row of just different pictures, my, my photos on the first page. And then the next page was like an introduction saying like, uh, the reason my photos are on the first page is because my photos speak for themselves. I like that. And that's cool. <laughs> it's like, it shows that I'm, I have this ability. Like you can, you can look at words all you want saying that, like I went to school and did this and like, I, I am a photographer, but seeing my actual work is where, where it's at. And that's, that was the difference I think. And I think I went in there with full confidence. I think that was the key is I didn't go like, well, I'm a, I'm an amateur photographer I, I just like to dabble, you know, but I think I could do, I went, no, I went in there saying, I'm a photographer. I know how to do this. I can do this. Even if I wasn't a hundred percent confident that I could, I was putting that, that picture out to, to the people hiring me to show them that, oh, this guy, this guy's means business. Yeah. And it obviously worked as well. So, cause yeah, cause you've, yeah, <laughs> you've done everything since. So, I mean, yeah, having self-confidence is a huge thing that a lot of people lack that i've definitely lacked 
and, mm-hmm. and still lack in a lot of ways. Even now, when it's a, it's a normal normal thing. Well, yeah, I think though, it 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 reminds me of something that Chris Jones, who he directs the London Screenwriters Festival, so he's reasonably well known, I guess. But I was helping out; I was volunteering at this festival once, and I was twenty, so quite young, I guess. And he was on about when you're having to go up on stage in front of these huge guests, so like the the screenwriter for The Usual Suspects, the screenwriter for Guardians of the Galaxy, quite big names. And then when you're kind of this young kid and you've got to go up on stage and like fix their mic or do something that's kind of nerve-wracking, he's on about, you've got to have that confidence, kind of like you're saying when you go into the situation. And in those situations, instead of the mind leading the body, the body has to lead the mind. So he'd say, he 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 showed us what to do, and obviously this is a podcast, so you can't see what I'm doing right now. But he'd say you stand up tall, put your arms out really wide, and just dominate the space around you. And just being dominant, having your legs out wide, maybe, and just looking up, voice sort of looking down, and just holding that pose for like ten seconds, internalizing this dominant pose. Obviously, you can't always do that before you got to be called up on stage really quickly. But maybe doing that in the morning, or doing that before a big job interview or doing that before defining moments really then just rewires the pathway in your brain a little bit. So I don't know if that's it's something almost pushing you to like convince, like remind yourself, like you can be the master of your own universe as, as cheesy as that saying kind of is just to, it, to physically take up space. There's a lot of people that feel like, like, like the body language, like you, you want to not bother people as much as possible and just not make a ripple. But then when you like, take up more space i don't know if it were i've never tried this i don't know if it were, maybe i'll have to try it but it's yeah. like i can i can totally see what you're saying about that well because it, it's it's related to um i read recently about how there's a lot more kind of mental health issues that have been risen in the 21st century compared to sort of the end of the 20th century and mm-hmm. a lot of people attribute that to smartphones and the well maybe not a lot of people but there's a school of thought around smartphones when people are holding it they're looking down and so they're having this very submissive posture in doing so because they're looking they're, mm-hmm. they're bowing their head they're bringing their hands together in this kind of almost fetal way to then just tap on their phone and that you body language yourself from the world exactly and that body language is sending innate negative signals to your brain as opposed to before yeah. people had smartphones and something like that to confide in their body language was different even. So it's a really interesting yeah. kind of thing to think about, I guess, how body language, or then an extension of that body language working out, there's nothing more dominant than like having a, doing a squat with a big heavy weight on your back. That's that's not just <laughs> yeah. that's not just body language, that's an actual pose and a movement that then sends positive yeah. signals to your brain. You're, you're, you're moving your environment around you, you're controlling your exactly. environment. Exactly, yeah. So it's just, I mean... Perhaps that's another example of a, a, a weird tangent, but I mean, I, I wish I'd thought of that before I started cruise ships on my first day, because on my first day, I threw up. I was so nervous. Really? <laughs> yeah. And um, <laughs> I was, I wouldn't say I was a mess, but I was struggling to talk to people. And if I'd have just kept it together a bit more, I don't think people knew I was nervous. And if I just kept it together more, they definitely would have known no. I was nervous. But I wish I'd have just had... You just seemed quiet, not not nervous. Yeah, I I definitely seemed quiet, and 
I, I try to have that mentality of just thinking, you know, fuck it, screw it. What will happen will happen. But I think before mm-hmm. stepping into the cabin and going, yeah, going to work on that first day, if I just had that moment to just really get into my body rather than my mind, I might not have thrown up. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. You, you were overthinking it. Oh, I, I think what helped me, I was just like, just take it one step at a time, like what you need to do next. Like, it's like, okay, I went in that moment where I had my head down on my bed. I was like, just have it down for like five minutes or something. And then I was like, all right, I need to go get my laundry or something. And it was like, just take them. It's like, I have drills at three or whatever and it's just like just just keep going like there's it's not that big a deal you'll feel better it's okay but before we get I wanted to get back to like when we were talking about um smartphones and how like it's almost closing and I I I really don't want to put off this uh intention like this old smartphone bad like it's it's uh such a useful thing and like you when we're kind of closing ourselves off to the real world but we're also opening ourselves up to the digital world in, in sense, the entire world. And I think that might go back to more of a sense of why we have these anxieties or uh, other mental illnesses of no other human has ever been connected to the world as much as we are. We're, we have this constant feed of every single bad thing that's happened. And we look at the world and like, oh man, it's just getting worse and worse. But in reality, it's just always been like this. Yeah. We're just, we just know about it now. Like back before this, People just chilling here would have no idea what was going on on the other side of the world and it wouldn't affect them. But now we we know all these things. It could have been the same thing like if we relate with like the virus and compared to like the Spanish flu, like people in Utah here, like they 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 did isolation. But it was like they didn't we weren't as informed as we are today of every single moment. It's like we have the death count just yeah. constantly clocking in front of us. Well, people back then didn't. They were just like, yeah, there's a. It's just like a Spanish the flu. flu out there. It's from Spain, it's apparently. Yeah. Like, uh, just hope, hope we're okay, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll go get the horse. <laughs> well, that that's like, I read a book at uni about kind of this, and it was called An Amazing Title. It's called If It Bleeds, It Leads. And I wasn't even a journalism student, but I read it cover to cover in like two days because it was so interesting. And it's about how journalism and media, and to an, therefore an extent smartphones as well, connect us to this. Um, what was the word? It was a morbid curiosity about the world because oh, yeah. people put, put it like this. If there's a fight going on, you're going to watch it in the street. If something just happens, people's natural yeah. instinct is what a would they rather? Car accident. Yeah, a car accident. People slow down in their car to look at it. And just for the hope of seeing something. Yeah. Gruesome and I, I, I bet you kind of want to. I think you kind of want to at the same time. Obviously, you you don't want it to happen. I, in fact, a policeman put but it, it to, is happening. Yeah, a policeman put it to me really well because um, I had the opportunity to go on a police ride along last, oh, in in March now. I was going to say last month, but the policeman yeah. would say he described to me the most gruesome thing thing he saw, and it was um, a guy had been shot point blank by a sawn off shotgun, and he got there like two minutes after the attacker had fled the building. Oh, so imagine the scene, like just walking in on that. Yeah. Like, apparently the smell was, you know, this, that, and the other. And he was oh, saying yeah, how... it's probably very distinct. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine the smell of intestines. I just don't know it. But he... he I would only... The only thing I could say, like, the smell of death yeah. is the only... Like, I feel like that would be the best way to put it. But he he, but, he, he went on to say, like, he d- you don't want it to happen, but he says you want to be there when it happens, though. And that's a really inter- interesting distinction. Like, 
And I think then it relates to what you're saying about smartphones is because people, we don't really want to see these things, but if it's happening, we want to be connected to it and we feel like we have to be connected mm-hmm. to it. And even you don't want to be out of the loop. Exactly. Even my own mum. And I think a lot of people of her generation and above, coronavirus has really caught their attention um, in kind of a morbidly curious way, I guess, because the death toll literally is one of the things that, one of the facts they remember from that day, you know, 642 people died today, it said in Sky News, this, that, and the other. So, mm. you know, like you're saying, it's, it's a lot of reinforced negativity because people are kind of drawn to it, I guess. So you need yeah, to... Yeah, and I can even say for myself, like, I really do have that morbid curiosity. Like, I, uh, on, on Reddit, or say, like, I follow so many, like, subreddits of just, like, uh, car accidents or just, like, there's... <laughs> There's one called hold my feeding tube and it's like <laughs> really like people like say who I don't know just get hurt really bad. It's just gifs or videos of people getting hurt really bad. Fuck. And it's it's not even that I want to see it like I'm like oh yeah yeah <laughs> I'm glad you're getting hurt. It's just like this like oh shit that can happen. Yeah. Just like and I think it, it goes back to this whole your mortality of like say I don't know if you've seen the video of a guy just walking down the street and all of a sudden a tire comes off of a car off in the distance and bounces and bounces. You just walk in and just doo, hits him in the back of the head and he, he died instantly. Is that, he does that exist? Hit him. That actually happened. Yeah, that, that's a video. I'll have, I'll have to find it and send it to you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there's just so many things. It's like you could die any moment. Like, like uh, for another example, I saw this one of just like, it was like some video cam of someone's basement and like, uh, their baby was just playing in the basement and then the baby walked to the other side of the room and then the the side that the baby was just on exploded because the water heater just exploded and it was a huge explosion and i got a water heater right on the other side of this wall from me and i i sit there and i think i'm like any moment that thing could just blow and, <laughs> and kill me without without even knowing like it could just be done like that yeah and i think that's another going back to like just making life the most you can because you could die at any moment. And I th- that that's a little more like a common thing to say and almost more cheesy. But it's it's true. And I think get, getting back to and it almost feels like this. I learned from it. You see these videos of people getting hurt and you can be like, oh, don't do that, I guess. Yeah. Be more careful. I see, I see so many like car accident videos and it makes me a more careful driver. Yeah, like, yeah for sure. It's almost experiencing through them. And, and, and but I also do live for that that flinch of that i don't when you you when you see it coming or when like someone does like a full scorpion kind of thing on their they bend their neck and their legs come over top or something like it's that whole that that cringe feeling i guess i love it and hate it that's why people are drawn to things like skydiving i guess or in combat sports just for that thrill of living life on the edge being being in that kind of zone um definitely which is i mean as creative people, as photographers and artists, we're, we're quite far removed from that. So you got to get your, get your kick somehow, I guess. So <laughs> if it's on Reddit or whatever. But but yeah, I mean, actually, that, that's an interesting question. Living this kind of life of creativity and art, art now, which we'll go on to how you got into art in a second. But what, what do you do to sort of balance that out and get the, and balance the kind of mellow and, reflective lifestyle you have and balance that out with excitement and thrills and things you're not expecting is is there a counterbalance to that or are you just living life exactly how you like to well i mean it's just like a constantly learning like i said of like i when i'm 
when I'm stressed about something or I'm thinking about something, I think it completely through until there's nothing else to think about. And it really just pushes me to, uh, I've already forgotten. I was, what, what exactly would you question? <laughs> so basically what, how do you counterbalance? Cause art is basically very reflective. So, mm-hmm. and kind of more m- like mellow. And if you're thinking things through a lot, there's a lot, a lot of room for like these un- like unexpected events, but then is there something you do to counterbalance that? Is there like, you know, do you, go and play on the motorway <laughs> that's an extreme example but is there anything that anything <laughs> like what i do for stress relief yeah like how do you what's the what's the counterbalance to um what do you do for excitement or exuberance that kind of thing because art in itself Exciting. being an in, being an introvert you can find yourself locked up with i know i get it where you get so in the zone with your own thing and your own process that there's not much room for those unexpected things and those thrills and those excitements and those things that can mm-hmm. come your way, especially when you're not on cruise ships anymore. So is there anything at the moment? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously lockdown makes it hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, getting back to like, like painting and stuff, when I, when you're really feeling that, when you have like a vision of what you want to do, it's like such a cool feeling, especially there's been times where like my first stroke, you put it down and you're like, that's the one you can already tell that's like, that's the perfect line. And it's the, there's one line on the whole canvas. Other times you do it and you're like, I hate it. And you want to stop. There's so many times where you get like a couple strokes in and you're like, no, this isn't good. I should just stop. But then if you just keep pushing it and developing it further, then it'll eventually you'll change your mind. And you're like, dang, that's, that's pretty good. And it's just, it, and I think it's just building up on these complex things of going layer by layer, like I was saying with uh, just oil painting, you build up, you have your base, and then you just make it more and more detailed the further you go. You put in to just build depth to it. And I'm not sure what this completely has to do with stress relief, besides that painting can be stress relief, but also it can definitely be the cause of stress. Sometimes when it's just not working, it can be bad. But also for me as like an introvert kind of thing, it's like I live for being by myself. Like I need to recharge and that's how I recharge is just sometimes just spending whole days doing nothing. It seems like I'm doing nothing, but a lot of times I'm watching YouTube videos and I'm learning stuff. There's so many times, like, I mean, that's how I learned photography and I've, I watched so many art videos trying to, to learn these things to better myself or just others. So many educational videos to, to just push something in my brain to process it. And and I think it's not even like you can get caught up so much in like the, oh, I'm not progressing very much. Oh, I don't know. Like, uh, what am I really doing here? You know, but then once you uh, get to a point, you're uh, just keep doing stuff and trying to better yourself and learning like if and it comes like you can it can look on the outside like you're doing nothing. But then if you're learning and especially having fun, it's definitely not a waste of time if you're doing these things to that make you happy or that feel like are bettering yourself. And sometimes it can feel like you're not like oh, in the, the, the short span, you're like, Oh, I'm not really progressing. But then once you come down to it and you look at what you've actually done for me, like just every art piece that I finished and you just look like, Oh, wow. And looking back to the, the portraits I was doing where I, I would, I would draw these pencil drawings of people on board and, uh, I I would I ended up giving 
all of them to that person. Like I, I have one of you and, uh, there's just so much progress that I've already seen in myself. Like when I, I guess we can go back to me in, uh, the art school. Like I, when I picked those classes, I had never painted in my life. I'd never even drawn much. Like I'd done, like my mom likes to give this example of like, he only drew stick figures for the longest time. And all of a sudden <laughs> he's doing all this stuff. I have, I haven't even talked about this yet, but I've, I, I did a mural in the queen Elizabeth. Um, yeah, that's huge. The, the crew smoking area. Yeah. yeah. I did this, uh, huge world map. It's like 15 feet long and, uh, as detailed as I could get it. And like, even the, you can go back to what I was saying about like the, just the progress. Like I took so long just with a charcoal pencil, making sure every detail was right before I even started painting. And it took me months to even get it down but it was that slow progress and build and build on top of it and then by the end you have this finished project that people don't even think they could grasp or do so many like people see my art or just art in general like i could never do that but they don't see it they think a lot of times people when even people try they just sit down for one session and then they're like oh this sucks but don't see that that's just the base drawing and that you need to build on top of that and it's not that's not the finished project and it takes more time to create than it seems like you could, you put hours and hours into one thing. And I think a lot of people just sit down and do one thing and they're like, Oh man, I can't do art. That looks terrible. But then it's just about sitting there and finding the problems. You're like, Oh, that the eyes a little wonky. got to fix that. Oh, the chin needs to be brought in a little bit that way. It's just about correcting and correcting and correcting until you can't correct anymore. And that's all where the art is. Like, I don't like, I've never, well, I guess I've, I've, I have some artistic ability, but it's like, I've never, for the longest time, I didn't consider myself artist. It was only in these past two years or so that I've really even jumped into this of even doing art. That's mad. Cause I, I yeah, just, I, just knowing you, I'd have thought lifelong artist. No, well, yeah, I definitely not. I stick figures up until, I didn't even do anything in high school. I mean, high school, I did film. That was, I, I wanted to be a director for the longest time. And that was probably my first love with art was I would make these videos as a kid. And I had, like, I even have, there's a YouTube channel out there with like when I was 13 and like, there's like 35 videos. On What's the name of the channel? channel. Ooh, I don't know. We'll shut out. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely give it to you. Though. Um, I feel like I've shut Oh, no, you didn't. Not. I oh. remember it. it was quite funny because on board, you'd, <laughs> you'd go to people like, oh, so anybody want to watch uh, my, my YouTube videos I made as a kid or something? We'd be out in port. Oh yeah. I, wa- I wanted to sit you guys yeah. down and, and no, get drunk and watch them. And no one did. They seemed interested. It was just, it, it never, it never transpired. It, it got, I mean, like yeah, Wi-Fi has happened. a huge thing to do with that on board. But, oh yeah, um, definitely. But going back to what you're saying then, it sounds like the process of art is just you is especially like being slightly introverted by nature being having this natural curiosity having a perfectionist trait as well Hmm. is that maybe what attracted you to art more than because and when i say art i mean painting oil painting because photography is why did i switch from photography to to painting exactly well i guess it it comes more this relates with ships too but just to photography in general uh actually one second i need to switch my headphone out it's yeah sure i mean don't worry by the way i'm gonna be editing around bits as well so like if you need to think oh fuck let me start again i mean like that's totally fine so no no it's fine 
I'm uh let me just switch this around. It's really we cool. Can, we can keep it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really cool um, though, like doing this. When I'm talking, I'm thinking of bits that how I'm gonna edit it as well in a li- like a little bit in the back of my head, like, oh that's a sound bite that <laughs> you just said right there. <laughs> yeah. I love I love that though. It's like I'm having almost a second conversation a little bit in my head in the future. It's mad. No, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm loving this. This yeah. is I'm just zoning out and talking. Which and people, I mean, feels natural. Yeah, I I miss that, especially when because we're quite similar. Like you said, we're like part of like this same tribe in a way. Where in mm-hmm. in our cabin, sometimes we we instantly clicked when we met. Yeah, because like you were saying about how you have this like need to be on your own to recharge. I completely relate to that. Um, yeah, I remember I've I've since read back the diary entry I wrote on my first day on the Queen Mary two, and mm-hmm. it was <laughs> it was really funny because. Danny, the photo manager at the time, she said, oh, we could have given you your own cabin, but we thought, oh, he's new. He probably wants to be in a cabin with someone else. And I thought in the back of my head, what the <laughs> fuck? Do you No, I'd love to have been by myself. No, yeah. <laughs> you don't know me at all. So I think you've really, you've really found someone you click with when you realize you can just be alone with them. And someone, um, when they first told me that, that was like the biggest realization I've had about friendships and people in general. Like if you can just be alone with someone, be in a room, and have zero like conversation, but then mm-hmm. be sharing that silence. Like, I mean, yeah. Well, it's it's a there's a Pulp Fiction quote of uh, you know, you found someone special when you can just shut the fuck up for a moment and have a comfortable silence. Yeah, I was gonna say it's not like we just shared romantic silences together <laughs> in the cabin, but like it, it, <laughs> no, but I think it's definitely we were def- we were comfortable with each other from like the get go. I don't yeah, remember yeah. there being an awkward stage. No, no, ex- exactly. I mean even when i first saw you i was like because people carry a vibe with them they carry oh, yeah. they, they carry their past to an extent in the way they walk and everything and you just get that vibe mm-hmm. from someone when you see them like ah oh, yeah you know it's like you almost feel like you've met them before when you met them for the first time because you just realize yeah that, definitely that, that works so yeah but going back to then what i was saying about um oh you were just about to answer actually photography and an art that i mean they're similar but they're not i guess Oh, right. So, um, so I'd been doing photography for, for that time and, uh, doing portraits of people that way. And then coming to ships and learning all these things of like, uh, just progressing through the ranks of like, like I got there and then I got, I was in charge of the photo locker. And then eventually I was the lab tech and I was printing the photos and editing the photos. And I was just like doing every aspect of the job I could do besides being a manager. And it came to a point where I felt like I wasn't progressing anymore. And like, I've kind of like, I definitely haven't mastered photography. I'm not going to say I'm a master, but, um, I feel like I, I know enough and I wasn't getting that same thrill that I did at the first, like when I was first editing my, my portraits, I was doing it. You just get this like, wow, I created this. Yeah. Like I, I captured this moment. And people are even going to buy it as well. Like that's, yeah. that's the thrill on board, especially. Yeah. But then it came to a point where I was like, what if my camera breaks? am I still a photographer without a camera? Ah. And, and now I've thought about that more. And of course I'm still a photographer. I'll always be a photographer. That's always going to be an aspect of my life. Whether, even if I end up not like professionally doing photography in art, I'm still going to use it for references. Like I still take photos all the time for references to transfer over to what I feel is a different meaning and a deeper relationship with what I'm trying to build. And I I just felt like it's like I want to create art and I feel limited 
by only being able to use a camera to capture pretty much what's already there. Yeah. And I wasn't creating something out of nothing. I was capturing what was already there and putting my own artistic flair on it, which is cool on, on its own. I'm not like trying to talk down on photography at all. Like it's it definitely has its purpose, but what I was trying to capture was, was more than that. And I wanted to be able to pick up anything and be able to make something out of it that can move someone or make them feel something. And something and, that's not even there because a lot of the drawings you've drawn, because what you do you, in the photo gallery, we, we have these tills and you can press the button and then till roll would come out and they have this feed and you can tear off the piece of paper, however long you want really. And what you mm-hmm. do is you go around the art gallery drawing these little pictures um, just on till roll, just to keep like the process flowing in your head, I guess, and keep that. Yeah. Pen it, to paper. it kept me drawing. But the things you draw, that's, that's the thing that, no one would ever have drawn that picture. And I guess you can say the same to, about photography. There's there's only ever going to be one moment specifically of that picture you've shot. Whether there's many like it is obviously up for argument. But mm-hmm. art is definitely, if you can say this, more unique like drawing and painting because you can conjure things up from thin air, like you're saying. And Yeah, you can you can create whatever you have in your mind you can put out there. And it's not limited to what you're able to photograph or even Photoshop in or manipulate in that sense, which I think is its own art skill in its own sense. I'm just going down a different path of what I want to be able to do. <laughs> just trying to make it very clear that I'm not hating on photography as yeah. as much as I've expressed in the past. How I'm like, oh, I'm over photography. I'm kind of done with it. I was just kind of burnt out after working on ships for the year. And it was just my job and just like these meaningless photos with these guests. Like Mm -hmm. you take these identical photos over and over and over and over and you go and batch them through and it's just, they're all the same and it's just mass production of these photos. And there's no, there's no, not that much meaning in it in in a different sense. Like there's, yeah, I don't know you just don't capture as much as I'd like to capture. So then on that point, it's funny how we're on about conjuring things up from, from thin air when you're painting. Cause, so then you've now almost finished your self-portrait. Are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah. Or is, it, is that cool? Uh, I don't think, I don't know if we were recording or not. I don't think we were. But I, yeah, I've been working on this self-portrait of uh, myself in this position. There's, um, there's this artist, uh, Albert Durer. He's this 1500s painter. And uh, he was the first, like, he's a Russian painter who... Uh, He's the first painter to leave the church and start painting his his own things that weren't related with church stuff. And what's cool about this portrait I'm doing myself is um if it's if you even just Google Albert Durer, you'll see this self-portrait of him. Can you and, spell it um, spell his name, his second name? Oh oh gosh. Albrecht Durer. Like his last name is D-U-R. ER, but then there's some sort of weird uh symbol thing because it's Russian. Okay. Um people will get the but idea. It, it's pretty even if if you even say it like just into like a like voice to text, it, it gets it. Okay. But um but yeah, but I'm I'm basing it off of that painting of him. He has this hand in this position holding his fur jacket. And uh with him having long hair and me having long hair. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to put a modern twist. Like I, I have, I'm in this, this portrait, I'm almost wearing his jacket, but it's also a mix of a jacket that I actually own. And, uh, I'm also wearing like, a my Waldo shirt underneath of it just to give it more of a modern flair and like 
piece of me in it just to describe me you know well it sounds but, like um, you're very similar to albert Durr in a way because he left the church and you left a church and yeah a, a form of religion is that did that have anything to do with it or was it just more his style of artwork that you were drawn um, to i i guess i haven't really thought about it in that sense as much i mean i definitely think we have a lot of common in that sense not that i can even say like i know this person from the 1500s yeah but um but he's he's definitely an influence on uh what just what he was able to achieve the detail i don't even know if i'm going to be able to get the same detail that he captured because if you zoom in on his portrait he he painted individual hairs and on the fur jacket you can see like the fur texture and uh he's got this glow on the jacket that i'm still learning and this so this has been a learning process for me to to push to try and get this uh glow from it and that just the um the detail that I, I want to be able to see from it and that's what it is building up layer by layer you can just build up shape by shape by color and then you just get smaller and smaller and smaller until you're doing the finest details and it gives such a depth to it so is oil painting uh, the well i don't know how to not for not being a painter i have no idea the difference between oil painting and any other form of painting really so i was about to say <laughs> is oil painting the best form of painting but they can't be like the best or worst form of painting. It's just no, a different form. Yeah, I don't it? think you could. It, it's just the way you use it. And there's different, like what I like about oil more than acrylic is just how slow you can go with it because it takes so much longer to dry because it's oil-based. It has to cure instead of with acrylic, which is water-based. Um, acrylic will dry so much faster. So you've got to put it down and have it down and go from there. While with oil, you can take your time and, uh, get what you want and even erase things way way into the future you can you can just um i take it much slower like for me there's a lot of times where like it'll take me months to work on a painting but i'm not working on it every day because i like to just sit there and look at it and mm -hmm. like oh yeah I could, I could do that i could change that and just take my time with it to figure out what i want to be doing there um so different than photography in that sense where you know, the process is kind of, it doesn't really last more than a day, I guess. I mean, I, I, even if it's a sick portrait where you've got all these lights and post-production to it, it's, ne it's never going to come close to that whole process of painting in that sense, is it? Oh yeah, there's it's, there's a whole different depth to it, which I love. And it's not even, you don't, like you can paint live, which is great, but then also you can be by yourself and do these things. And uh really push to whatever you want it to be instead of and, it, and especially with like I haven't worked with a lot of clients yet like I have been paid for portraits before but a lot of the stuff I'm doing right now is just to push myself to an ability where I feel like I can be paid and feel like it's worth it like there's times when I was first starting photography I was like I can't charge for this I don't know what I'm doing so but then I got to a certain point where I'm confident enough I've done enough portrait shoots or say with painting i've done enough paintings to feel more confident to be able to go to a client and say like hey you want this done i can do it like this or or whatever it's just uh that uh this confidence building that confidence and having the collection of your works to be like hey i've done this awesome so then there's a line from fight club which i really like and Edward Norton goes to the two guys in the back of his car and he asks them because he's assuming that they're about to die. And he goes, 
do you have any any regrets before you die or something like that is the line and the two guys in the back go um one of them says like never went to venice or something but the other guy i remember this definitely he says uh i wanted to paint a self-portrait and that's something that he didn't he didn't get around to doing before he died so you obviously you don't remember this yeah it, it just stayed with me watch that again because it, it, it made me ask myself first of all if i was to die like right now what are my biggest regret to be uh, what my biggest regret be but it made me also wonder how much you learn from painting a portrait of yourself i guess oh yeah definitely you can say that even for um doing it yourself it's so much i think it's almost easier because if you're trying to get likeness down i think it's important to paint yourself because you kind of know what you look like yeah and you can go and draw or paint someone else and like you're like oh yeah i think that looks like you and then the person's like at all so it's it's good to to try and get these likenesses down to uh identify just, with you know, practice yeah and identify yeah yourself but then with but also um when i was in college down in southern utah i uh i was a model for um for the uh pastel and oil painting class so i just sat in a chair and they painted me and it's such an interesting feeling to go around and there's like 20 different versions of you on canvas. Oh, wow. And it's just all yeah. these different people capturing you and what they think you look like or what they're able to capture with the artistic abilities they have at that moment. Um, but it was just so interesting to see how other people perceive you. And I think that's an important thing to to notice, even if it's not like in paintings, just to think about that. You know, That's such an amazing experience to have. Like, 20 versions yeah. of yourself that's so cool i think it almost links back to what we were saying earlier if i remember it correctly about how you're saying um everything is kind of an illusion in a way i guess mm-hmm. you can the closest you can get to things not being illusion is how like you were saying earlier how you perceive yourself and so it's kind of cool that you're now painting a self-portrait of yourself it doesn't really get mm-hmm. more real than that because that's how you interpret you and yeah how you interpret yourself that's anybody else's interpretation of you can't match your own interpretation of yourself. That is the most mm-hmm. kind of um, subjective thing, really. So it's, it's cool yeah. how that's kind of, you know, a little bit linked. So one day I'll paint yeah. a self-portrait. <laughs> I think it's important for everyone to have a self-portrait of themselves. Because uh, I think that was what is, why I was so important for me. Like I, I tried to draw um, everyone on the photo team if I could. There's definitely, if you guys are listening to this, I'm sorry if I didn't have time to draw you. <laughs> but also, you, you probably just didn't have any cool pictures on Facebook that I wanted to draw. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I think it's important for people to see themselves in that light of painting in this classical way. Because like back in like the before cameras, that was the only way you could save yourself. And it's almost this thing of like your own immortality. Like if we didn't have photos, you have a painting of yourself, but like, it's like, what, if you die, what's going to be left behind? And I think that's been kind of something subconsciously I've been thinking about, whether it be what I leave behind of my artwork or my thoughts and feelings, or um, say even just basic things like my jar stickers. Oh, that, we've um, got to talk about that. Yeah, go on. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, So just background on that, Um, I, on, on the ship's, I have on all three of like the, the Queen Mary, the Elizabeth and uh, Victoria. I, we had like little like gaffers tape, this, this white tape that was like 
the adhesive was like weak enough that it would stay, but you could take it off and it wouldn't leave any residue or anything. So I really liked that. I would put my initials are uh, are jarred, Jade and Andrew Roosh, and that's how I signed my paintings too. So um, I would I would hide hide these jar stickers all around the ship, but they weren't in plain sight. I didn't want them to be like just straight up like vandalism graffiti kind of stuff because I, I hit them in very like in places where no one would see them and no one noticed for the longest time they were in plain sight, but yet visually people just tuned them out. And it wasn't until like I had started like uh, people would find them or uh, I would tell them about it. And then they, I had people all over the ship coming in like, Oh, I found another one. And it became this game. Yeah. And I constantly, even today I get pictures from people from ships just like oh i found another one and uh there's just thousands it's so on each fun. ship isn't there there's like thousands of jar stickers uh, oh, i, mm, I want to say thousands i was let's see on on the mary there's probably like 150 on the victoria there's probably 200 and on the elizabeth there's probably 300 wow because i remember in that period between we first met on the queen mary two then you went on the Queen Victoria. Then I went on the Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So we were on different ships at that point. We met again. Yeah, on the we Queen had Elizabeth. had like yeah, we, five months apart. Yeah, five months apart. And then in, in, in another sort of transition again, where you stayed on the Queen Elizabeth, I went back on the Queen Mary. Your stickers were then there on the ship. And yeah. I remember finding them as I looked for them a little bit more. And it was really cool to like, you weren't there, but seeing these, these jar stickers around, it brought me back to that time. Um, you were on the ship and in a, in a certain in a certain way then everybody that kind of looks at them or becomes more aware of them even if you've never met them you still exist in that little way on board the ship now and mm-hmm. i mean even if i were to die those are still there floating around exactly the and when you left the queen elizabeth and finished as a photographer on on ships back in um last year in in july for the longest mm-hmm. time afterwards because i i've just finished on the queen elizabeth this year in january your your stickers were still all there. There was one that I'd always see every time I went up the staircase to the wardroom, jar twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, there was yeah. another one I used to see on Burma Road as you got towards the uh, the sort of like utility warehouse bit, and I knew they were there. I don't know if many other people on the ship would notice them, and if they did, they wouldn't even take them down. I don't think because they just don't know what. Yeah, they, they kind of blend in. They yeah. almost because there is other stickers around the ship of like just the different like maybe HVAC stuff they'll write stuff on the walls just build i don't know what they're even for but they kind of blends in and no one quite like with it just like when someone sees like a like jar what is what's yeah. that about like but it's not it's not it doesn't it's just literally j-a-r it's not like graffiti handwriting or like that whole font you know it's not something controversial it's just three letters up on a wall with a date just so you can tell when it was put up there and I don't know. I think there's definitely people who could take it the wrong way and be like, you vandalized the ship and you just like put stuff all over the walls and now someone's got to take that down or something. But it's also like, I don't know if you're not involved with it. Like I I like the idea of surprise art, just that you can stumble upon something and be like, whoa. And that's something I've actually been transitioning and doing to more of just instead of just jar stickers to uh, creating separate pieces of artwork on these stickers so it's completely unique and you put that somewhere specific so that it's like a unique work of art somewhere else 
And I don't know, I think that's really cool. Because it's just for someone to discover and they have this like really introspective moment where they just discover this random little piece of art that someone made. Yeah. Like a time capsule that someone came across yeah. that someone just planted. Is that kind of moment where it's just for you, really? I, I, I love that. Seriously. Yeah. And it's also cool then how you mentioned, I think a lot of people can, particularly me, can like learn from this, to have this idea that you want to leave something behind after you're done with this life because you know yeah being immortal is what makes us you want to make human. an impact yeah even if it's not like like who knows there's only a handful of people that actually change the world and like actually make a difference that people a thousand years in the future might even remember but it's like most of us are probably going to be forgotten we're going to turn into dust and be forgotten and as sad as that is that's just how it is and we have no choice in that but we can try to do whatever we can to to make an impact and it almost feels a little selfish in that sense of like oh i i think i'm important enough to be remembered but i don't know it's uh why not whatever you can i'm yeah yeah why not because everybody's got something to say and if it if if what you can say lives on after you i think that's amazing honestly exactly so that and even like with these these stickers on the ship like they're they're gonna be there for a long time some of them yeah and i can't wait until i'm old and finally take a cruise on a cunard ship and just go back and i'm gonna be so cheesy and be like you know i used to work on this ship i was a photographer and then but i can hopefully find some of these old jar stickers just around the ship i don't know how well they're gonna stick well i think they I were think there they will, for but they were there and looked very, they didn't look like they were going to fall off, you know, six months after you put them on. Yeah. There. So, I mean, I, yeah, no, not I, I haven't had any issues of them falling off. I don't think I've seen a single one that's been like hanging off or something like it's naturally falling. I think the only reason they would come off is if someone cleans them. And I think a lot of them, well, I don't know a lot, but some of them are were probably taken down during like a deep cleaning of the ships. Oh, especially with, like with a, coronavirus. With virus. Yeah. Yeah, they probably went through and But there'll be some out there still. Oh yeah, for sure. There's there there are some that are never going to be taken down. They are in such good hiding spots that no one will even see them really. The only reason they'd see them is if they're taking the ship apart and like cuz some of them are like tucked behind crevices in the walls and uh under desks, under telephones. Um, behind TVs, uh, up in, I don't know, just wherever I could find that most people wouldn't think to look. And I think that was something else with me being so tall. By the way, we've talked about, I'm 6'2". Um, oh, yeah, yeah. For those of you who haven't uh, met Jaden Roosh, he's, he's very tall. He's six foot two. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you can, I, I can see these higher places that most people might not see. And I can reach these tall places that a lot of people probably couldn't reach anyways to take it down so they could they could maybe see these things but they're not going to be able to do anything about it <laughs> so you live on so that's <laughs> so i live on that kind of neatly brings me on to what i'm going to try and do from now on on this podcast when i get guests on is ask five big questions that kind of summarize defining moments in their lives that's mm-hmm. what i'm really interested in defining moments we talked about about a lot of you know definitive moments in your life just in this conversation um yeah but you can you can answer these questions if you don't want to that's fine as well and no i'm an open book man yeah i mean you you can answer them as in 
in as much detail as you like or as simply as possible because um, I respect that you know this isn't a private conversation <laughs> we're having either so but yeah I mean I don't want to build it up too much because they are just my questions that I just bashed out in 30 seconds but I feel like these if you can answer these honestly give you a really good idea of any person so here's the yeah. first question Jaden Roosh are you ready <laughs> yes I'm ready if you were going to be brainwashed tomorrow, what single memory from your life would you save? Man, uh, I saw this and I've been thinking about this question of like, what does that even mean? Like, what, is someone's brainwashing you and then they're like, you can keep one one memory. You can keep this. Yes. Yeah, so which, one, which one you want. We will keep it in there and you can remember. Exactly. So like, imagine like <laughs> someone's just formatting the SD card in your brain, but they're allowing one memory. Like one instance, but then would it even keep... make any sense out of context if I lost everything else about my myself, huh. and then I just have this one random memory? It's almost going to feel dreamlike in a sense. Yeah, you'd be like, "Here like, is this person." I think this happened, but I don't remember anything else around it. So then, let me rephrase it. Aha! Well, here's here's how I should say it then. On your deathbed, so if you if you die and you're near you're about to die, and you're lying in hospital at whatever age you might be. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 60 years time, whatever. But what would you say so far in your life has been the single memory that you cherish the most? Oh man. I mean, does it have to get down to like one specific memory or can it just be like a time period? Cause the first thing that comes to mind is ships. Cause that's, that has influenced me a lot. Like it's really changed my life completely. It's if I didn't do that, I'd just be some like Utah boy just doing my thing here. Not really knowing. I mean, I've traveled before, like I've been out of the country before this, but it, it, it changes you. Like if you look at pictures of me, like my first day on board compared to now, it's like, I'm a baby. And it was only like a year difference. And like, I don't, I don't feel like you see that difference. If you look at like prior years and do that same comparison, I don't change that much, but there's, there was just so much change in my looks. I mean, it could also help that growing out my hair, like you yeah. can really staple on where, where I was in that <laughs> point in time and my hair was short. So I'm, of course I was younger then. So you got like, but, um, you got a very literal barometer of your like time on ships. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that must've been. That must have been September because my, my hair was shoulder length. Then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I guess when you get to that point of like on your deathbed and stuff, and I have thought about this a lot because of everything I've already done. I'm, I'm so young, but I've already been on every continent except Antarctica. I've already done so many things and met so many cool people. And straight like I don't want to die, but if I were to die tomorrow, I'd die happy. Like I've already lived such a fulfilling life that I'm just so lucky to have. And yeah, I could, I could die happy right now. And I, but I definitely don't want to There's so much more that I could progress on top of this. This, if this is just the first layer, like this is, I'm not even halfway through my life and I already feel so fulfilled. I can only imagine what I'm going to be fulfilling in the future. Yeah. Cause and really, that just makes me excited to keep living. Yeah. Cause really a lifetime is enough if you do it right. I think. Yeah. You can do so much in a lifetime. They say life's short, but literally it's the longest thing you'll ever Yeah. So then you've kind of already answered this, but I might ask it anyway. What decision has led to the greatest tangent in your life? So if you can imagine 
the a fork in the road and you had to choose left or right. Am I am I right in saying that's probably cruise ships? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've definitely already talked about this. Well, I mean, ships, but then going back to to leaving the church, that was such a fork in the road where I would I would have like I almost got married at 19. Oh, wow. And uh I think yeah. I do I I did actually know that, but I just remembered it now as you said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I almost got married and like the plan that I would have gone married at the temple, uh, just settled down. I probably could have even had kids right now. And it's like, that's the, there's a whole alternate timeline of what I would have still been doing if I hadn't questioned the church and decided that I wanted to be more than, than that, than what the, the church was leading us to believe. I, I felt like I can, I could do more with my life and live a more meaningful life and fulfill more of these things because there's so many things that you don't even get to see if you just stay in the church like you don't know what it's like to get drunk with your friends and just have such a good time and have that euphoric feeling of just I mean you can you can definitely have that stuff sober but I mean come on there's definitely oh yeah <laughs> there's sometimes when you're drunk and you're just like wow I feel good yeah for sure and it's the same thing. I mean, again, we haven't even touched on this, but I guess this will just get into the full character of my being, whether it be uh, religion, art, and drugs. That, that's <laughs> that's my my categories of what I talk about. And like when you get down to like, I would have never tried things like LSD, which which really opened my mind. I guess it, like, of course it did. It's LSD, but it it makes you see these things and just like, wow, you can. This is a part of life. This is how reality can be sometimes if you just take this little tiny piece of paper and just like you'll trip for 12 hours or whatever and like think of these things that you've never even considered and you can really literally like rewire your brain to think better things or i mean like you can also it can it can be bad like i'm not saying these are like perfect things they're definitely you you have to respect these chemicals and to uh maybe do it with people you know as well yeah a lot of time with this stuff i've done it by myself i've been confident enough with my own mental health i've never really been depressed or had any mental health issues that i was like what's really there to be scared of like a bad trip and but like the bad trip even i don't even know if i believe that there are such things as a bad trip because you can always learn something from it to progress yourself and figure out maybe why you had this bad trip and push yourself to move past that and better yourself so i think it's there's just so many different aspects that the church wanted to keep you out of and you you could say it's to protect you and like they just want you to be healthy like oh we don't want you to get addicted to these things but also you're just missing this whole aspect of life and also i don't think you learn how to control these urges properly because i i think abstinence only is limiting and i almost think it's bad to limit yourself to these things and just say you can't do these things just because you've been told not to and i think it's important to explore these things and recognize your own uh what you're you're comfortable with and what you what kind of what what you um what what you stand for Kind of, but um, what's the word? I'm trying to think of it. It's like a self control to be able to tell yourself, "Hey, uh, I should." 
probably like, like I like drinking or something, but I should probably chill out a little bit. Or like, it's like, oh, you know, I, sh- I probably shouldn't trip on acid every single week or something. <laughs> it's like you need to, you need to have respect for these things. And it's the same thing with coffee, like, or anything. You can get addicted to anything. You can get addicted to water. Like it's, there's, you can build these relationships with these, these chemicals and trick your brain to thinking that you need them. But I think it's about self-control and internalizing and looking at yourself to, to be able to, to work through these things and push yourself to, uh, for better, like, uh, have just self-control in that sense and discipline of, uh, as well not not discipline that's that's what because yeah. a lot of people get into the trap of like and i've realized this kind of recently about myself having external grat- gratification and if it if it comes internally gratification for example you finish a self-portrait or you you uh, take a really good picture these things that are internal that you own that reward is better than the external gratification which you'll get on social media say or maybe on lsd or um definitely uh with with alcohol say but that stuff afterwards kind of leaves you on a bit of a come down i find mm-hmm. rather than the the internal things once you've accomplished something it, it's accomplished and that's it. Mm-hmm. You, you can look back on it and think it'll never change that memory because you've accomplished it and it was good. Boom, done. And it's done. But then, you know, a, a cool Instagram picture or you're refreshing your feed over and over, you're just waiting for the next thing, the next sensation, or you're you're, you're mm-hmm. waiting for the next night out where you can go out and drink with your friends for that sen- similar sensation. It's, an, it's all sensational. The dopamine rush. The dopamine that, that rush. chemical squirt in your brain. Yeah. Make you feel good. The chemical squirt. That that sounds like a good band name. Chemical squirt. <laughs> chemical squirt. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I guess if you'd have gone on on a different tangent, then you might have have had less chemical squirts. With you know, if you hadn't have gone that fork. In well, the road, I don't, like, I don't even want to say like I could have probably been perfectly like you can live in these worlds where you've you've built these or other people have built around them that like this is how life is. And this is what you do to be happy. And then you can be perfectly happy with these things. Like I have friends who who are off, they've gotten married, they're having kids, they're just settling down, doing this whole nuclear family kind of lifestyle. And as much as I look at it and go, man, I would be miserable in that situation. I would not. And it's like, how could you like you're I feel like you're limiting yourself to what you could. You're so young. Why are you you locking yourself down so fast to. uh it's, I don't know. I feel like there's just more growth personally for me that I want to do. I want to explore the world. I want to, like I have already explored. I want to explore what I can do artistically. And I want to explore what I can do with love and relationships to build the biggest connection with people. Because when it comes down to it, like what makes your life fulfilling is the the people around you and what you've done. And guess that's that's really what all matters and i mean it's all about whatever makes you happy and if having this whole nuclear it, yeah. family lifestyle is what makes you happy that's cool because we're not trying to tell people for the slightest instant how to live their lives at all but yeah i mean it's we're just it's giving our life is whatever you want it. exactly if that's what you want it to be cool but also i think you should be open to the idea that there's other lifestyles that could be more fulfilling for you and i 
I don't think you should limit yourself or have people tell you that these other lifestyles are bad or sinful or something like that. Because my whole life, like leaving the church and stuff, it's, it's of course, it's caused contentions with my family. Like me and my mom have fought for years on these things. And every time my mom has fought with me, it's been she's disagreeing with my lifestyle choice. And from the outside of Utah, most people see this and it's fine. Like when I get back, like I had a little glass of wine. Everyone else in the world is like, yeah, that's cool. But you come back here and I am a sinner and like it's bad. And is it that bad? It's just that people say you're a sinner having that glass of wine. Would they really look down on you in that in that kind of way? Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's it's not like. I mean, it's the same sense. I mean, anywhere in the world, like you can and how much we've progressed as a society since even like the 90s, like like. LSD and shrooms and stuff were on the same level. Even weed was on the same level as heroin. People just accepted what the government said. They said that these are class one, they're super addictive. But now we're finding more and more that like really these things like weed and like psychedelics shouldn't be in this class one category of the same thing as with heroin and meth and opioids and stuff. These things that are actually dangerous. And not that I'm saying these other things aren't dangerous. They can definitely have their their threats, but it's about responsibility and doing your research and making sure you're in an environment where you you're safe. And I think it's, it's really important just to push yourself to, to, to know these things. I know I just can't imagine like as when I first learned about like psychedelics and just the fact that these things are possible just to change your environment for 12 hours or something. And then you just go back to normal and then, it's, it was such a, like, this can happen. And I just felt so alive in those moments. And just like, it felt good to breathe. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, I am alive. I am living and everything else around me is living. And we're on this coexistence of just these, these cells that have just clumped together so much that they're all working together to create this one being to, uh, be in the universe to to, to <laughs> this is going way deeper than I, I think I I'm even ready to grasp. No, no, but um, but no, yeah, this, yeah. I mean, because um, personally, I've never tried LSD and psychedelics, and mm-hmm. I'd almost be scared to because I don't know if I trust my brain, my my self, my subconscious, and um, mm-hmm. I feel like without psychedelics, I can have very i guess uh, very introspective moments and i can get myself worked up quite easily i can i can think myself into a bad mood or into, into ex- having anxious oh, thoughts yeah. really easily and i feel like if that was on psychedelics that'd be like times 10 so i'd be afraid of, oh, yeah. i'd be afraid of that bad trip going in and then i'd wonder would that then influence the likelihood of a bad trip happening even more would, would that be the case yeah, and that's 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 why I have to say again, like, uh, it's, it's all about your environment and your mindset. If you go into this in a good mood and you're around people, you know, and love and are comfortable with, and you feel safe, you're not going to have a bad trip. You're, and you can get into these, uh, mindset loops of just, you're stuck in this like overwhelming anxiety or something like, Oh my God, Oh my God. But if you can just pull yourself out of that and move past it, I think that's even stronger in the sense, like if you can, you can learn how to control your emotions when you're high as fuck 
is a lot easier when you're sober because uh, you've done it at such an extreme degree that you can learn how to process these things easier when you're sober. So once you finally come back, you can take these things that you've learned from your trips and be like, you know, I'm freaking out about this. And really, there's no reason to freak out. The universe is just doing its thing and I'm just a part of it. And it's going to happen whether whether I like it or not. And I just need to take it one step at a time. And I think that's just one example. That's but, so um, cool, though, to think of it like that. Being on psychedelics just moves that baseline of controlling your emotions up so high that when you're without them, everything's mm-hmm. much more manageable. That's that. I'd never thought of it like that, honestly, because everybody gives that stigma around drugs. Like you were saying mm-hmm. about how the Mormon church has that kind of stigma around it, that it ruins your life and you're a loser for being on and this, that, and the other. But you're right. Like I, I think of a lot of notable people that I know of that advocate psychedelics, like Joe Rogan or um, Bob Dylan. He's kind of a famous example mm-hmm. as well. They're all like doing well, <laughs> really. And they're all like yeah. quite successful and they all do what they want and they all are really happy. And so that's a really interesting kind of way of looking at it that you've brought up there i think and it's you know i'm not i don't know would you advocate psychedelics then i mean it's i mean you see all over online people are like give disclaimers like i do not advocate taking these drugs and blah 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 but like like you just need you're not going to be able to stop people from doing it and i don't think we should even have the responsibility of saying these online we can we should be able to talk about these things without it being our responsibility whether people do it safe or not we should definitely explain how to do it safe and explain that you shouldn't just go into these things without knowledge because that's how you freak out you look up like for instance there's this kind of uh uh other other drug uh salvia which if you just like youtube it you'll you'll look it up and it's just like salvia freakouts. people who don't know what they're doing Someone just brings in this leaf and they're like, hey, smoke this. It makes you trip. And then they trip balls. But it's such a different, it's not like psychedelics. It's a completely different uh, chemical reaction in your brain. It's more closely related to opioids, but without the um, addictive aspects of it. But you see these people freaking out on it because they don't know anything. And for me, like when I got into this things, I, when I was in, uh, in college, I wrote a research paper in my English class on LSD and the whole history and how to do it safely and what are the pros and cons and all this, the whole thing of just exploring the idea of it and how to be safe. Because I think that's the biggest thing. You shouldn't go into these things without knowing what you're getting yourself into. It's an entire, it can, you, you could kill your ego, literally. You, there's a thing called ego death. Whoa, where, that sounds horrible. Where... No, I mean, you don't, you don't feel it. I mean, I I don't know personally if I've experienced an ego death, but it's like you lose your sense of self. Actually, maybe I have because, um, with say Salvia, my most, uh, my biggest trip I had with it was, uh, with my, my old bedroom, it was like a black wall on the window and I was smoking out of the window. And, uh, when I, I took the hit and then I pushed away from my window and it was like I pushed off into space and then the window just kept getting farther and farther away and I was just like floating and then I went and laid down on my my futon mattress bed and uh I just lay in there and I I turned off the lights and just had it completely dark because I heard if your brain has nothing to focus on it's just gonna make up whatever it wants because there's nothing in its 
not seeing anything to to trip on so it has to make up its own things in the sense so in in this uh i had my eyes closed and it was just dark and i started changing into different objects which apparently is a common thing on salvia you change into these different things like i was changed a lamp you know whatever and then eventually i i stopped and i was my futon bed just floating out in space and then i felt like i opened my eyes and i realized i was my futon bed <laughs> in reality my entire life was a dream because really i'm a futon bed and I was fully convinced that I was a futon bed. And then eventually, like the, the, the high only lasts like 10, 15 minutes, maybe even less than that. And then you come back. And then I don't think there's been a single time when I've done Salvia where I haven't come back and said, what the fuck? Oh. Because it's, it's such a mind-boggling experience. Like I, I did completely lose my sense of self, which I guess, is, is that the definition of an ego death? I'd have to give it a quick Google to, to see what it, the actual definition of ego death is, but I definitely didn't know who I was in that moment. I was not Jaden Roosh. I was a futon mattress. That's but I guess, again, I, yeah, but, I, but then you come back and, and then you're normal again. And it's this weird, I don't even want to put Salvia in the same category as psychedelics. Like it is psychedelic, but it's different. And I wouldn't even call it like they weren't, fun experiences they were just so weird and you always come back so like discombobulated of like what the fuck just happened but you remember these things like that was just one of the stories but there's been some like i was listening to uh, pink floyd's dark side of the moon and then one of the tracks like it's just speeding up like going like and like you hear like a train in the background and then there's this weird feeling on this on this drug where you feel like you need to lay down everything just goes horizontal and you just there's no, I don't, I don't think I could stand up if I was on. <laughs> like you just want to lay down and you feel this pressure to being pushed to the ground. And I remember feeling like I was being pushed onto a train cart. And I, and I feel like there's so many times where I felt like I was just shoulder to shoulder with people. And, uh, they're just right next to me. I'm like, what's going on? And they're just, they're like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. And we're on this train and the train's going faster and faster through space. And I, in the song, you hear like a guy laughing. And I, I was like, who's that guy laughing? I was like, that's the train conductor. This guy's crazy. I got to stop him. So I was trying to sit up from my bed, but I couldn't sit up. And I just had to like, just wait. And I mean, in that moment, like it sounds scary, but I wasn't scared. I was just in that moment, in that weird sense of what my reality was at that time. And uh, yeah, it's just a, such a interesting experience and i guess getting back to like whether ag advocating these things i think you just need to be ready mentally if you think if you think this is something that you want to experience and that you want to explore i think it's a beautiful thing to explore you can open up your mind to so many different aspects you've never even thought of and it's such a i've had such beautiful experiences and seen such trippy things that's like you just like, like say the first time I did LSD, like there's this texture on my walls that were kind of bubble looking like little circles and they just started sliding, oozing down the wall. And like, I told one of my roommates that and he's like, I would freak the fuck out if that happened. Yeah. It's like, why? It's not scary. It's just, you know, it's not real. You know, you're tripping. You're just experiencing this, this chemical of what it's making your reality perceived as. So would you compare it to a lucid dream in that way? Because I've had almost those kind of dreams. Yeah. Those kind of dreams where you know it's a dream, but at the same time, it's so surreal anyway. 
Yeah, and I think it's just your, um, like you re- you remember these things. There's definitely a lot of things like I feel like I'm tripping, and then when I'm sober, you just don't remember them as well. And I try to write down as much as I can because that's when you can definitely go into a trip and just treat it as fun and games and not getting anything meaningful out of it and just like, oh yeah, there were some cool visuals. But if you go really in depth on yourself and think about yourself and how you could better yourself or what's holding you back in life. Like I I try whenever I trip to go into something with like a thought of like how I want to better myself. Like there was the first time I did shrooms, I uh there there's a river next to my apartment in southern Utah. It's the Virgin River. And I would always go walk down in it and I would just like I was so comfortable. I was wearing like my my hoodie and my sweat and I'd just pull my sweats up and I'd just go walk in the the shin deep water and you could just walk forever and it felt so good and then you see all like the crazy light fractals in the water and it was and I was just by myself and I eventually just kept walking down the river and I got to a point where like no one could see me there was such tall like a brush around that I could stand in the river and just be completely alone and at that time I was doing the modeling for uh for the school and uh they offered me to do the nude modeling oh and I was like, I was like, oh man, is that something I want to do? I've never been like naked in front of people. So I was really uncomfortable with the, with the thought of doing that. But I also knew that like, it'd be a really cool experience to do that. And uh, before I get any further, a lot of people get disappointed when I get to this end of the story. I didn't end up doing uh. modeling. It, it, didn't, <laughs> it didn't work with my, my, my class schedule, but I did do that mental preparation and when I was tripping, I went out, like, no one could see me. I was just in the river. And I just got completely naked out in the middle of this river. And I also knew that I needed to completely submerge myself in the water. I don't know why I wanted to do that so bad, but I knew I had to. <laughs> but um, just getting that, it was interesting to be outside. Like, the only places you're really naked are, like, in confined spaces, usually. Yeah. So to be out in the open like that, it was such a weird and liberating feeling. And it really just got me comfortable with the idea of like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like people can see you naked and especially in, in this setting of art, it's not like I'm just running down the street naked in an like <laughs> unsolicited manner. It's like I'm in an area where everyone understands that we're doing nude drawings and it's all it's to progress and it's a part of the art and it's a whole thing. Like it's you have to be in the right mindset to accept these things, to, to be pr- progressive enough to not look at nudity as a dirty or like pornographic thing bad yeah pornographic thing it's the the human body is art in itself and i think that's something that more people need to respect and, and that's such a thing in utah we for the longest time like the actual utah government declared pornography a public health crisis that's like a real statement the government has made a public health crisis as well like what what does that even mean yeah also <laughs> at the same time we're in this valley that gets filled with smog and pollution and people are having asthma attacks because of the pollution <laughs> yet pornography is the public health crisis yeah and i it's like it's i think this it's this build-up thing back with the religion of like being told that it's a bad thing and not knowing how to control these these urges of uh like you can sit and just you like I don't for the longest time I was like I don't know if you can get addicted to porn but I mean you can get addicted to anything else so why not porn I could definitely see with that dopamine rush you get every time 
Um, yeah, surely anything with a dopamine rush, you can get addicted to, I guess, in theory. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you can easily look at us and go, no, we shouldn't be looking at this all. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad. But then you can look at it in other senses of you can really explore yourself sexually and find what you want and what turns you on as a person and what you you want. And I mean, you can't, obviously you can't look in porn and expect it to be like real life, but you can definitely look at and you can discover different things about yourself. You're like, oh, you know, I'm kind of into that, that fetish or whatever. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think exploring yourself sexually is a very important thing. And I think that's something that a lot of people in Utah have closed themselves off from doing. And the only thing I'd say is seen as such a taboo thing. Yeah. The only thing I'd say is exploring yourself sexually vicariously through porn on like Pornhub. Like, that's obviously maybe in some aspects, I get what you're saying. But I think overall, that's a pretty bad way to go out exploring. Obviously, it's better to have like the relationships with people, which obviously mm-hmm. you you obviously meant to were gonna say. But um, yeah, I mean, like people have been fucked up by having that as an introduction to the world of sexual intercourse and relationships, what have you. And then their expectation, mm-hmm. the reality is, it's nothing like that. Um, yeah, and I've, I mean, I think that's just something you have to realize yeah. is that that's it's not realistic. But you can look at it and almost in the sense like there's so there's there's have you ever just stumbled upon a weird porn that's just like so ridiculous and you're like, I would have never even thought about this situation. And this this situation would never even go down in real life. And I think that's an important part of porn is you can have these fantasies play out in your head and you can see it and go down in real life, per se. But something that would never happen in person you can see and we're like, whoa, that's, that's an interesting take on that. And I mean, you can, you could always look at this bad that I don't know, expressing yourself sexually is bad and you should only do that with one person in a confined space with them. And it's like a sacred thing. But also I think you could see it as like something where we're all human. We're all here to fuck. Oh yeah. That's what, that's our, our main mission. Our body wants us to reproduce. Yeah. And that's what the world runs around the world runs on sex sex sells it's like the whole it's the whole thing so it's apparently the average male mind thinks about in some way subconsciously or consciously sexual intercourse once every like 15 seconds or something like that it's, I, it's I, ridiculous i definitely believe it and yeah <laughs> i get what you're saying it's like why is it taboo i mean i i understand why it'd be taboo in a mormon culture in, in utah but like mm-hmm. over, it's not just there is it is is it is worldwide yeah, More or I mean, less. The whole, I mean, this, uh, sex has always been kind of a taboo thing to talk about. Yeah. And I think that's been something really cool in this modern day and age with the internet and stuff we can explore. And we can also talk to other people who agree with us or have the same interests in uh, work through these things to figure out what you, you want. Like if, if I didn't have the internet, maybe I wouldn't have left the church because I would have had no way to research yeah. the, the history of the church or or whatever. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an, I think with a religion, it's, it can be part, like, I don't want to say it's fully like, obviously they, they, they probably care about keeping yourself mentally fit for sex and treating it with respect, which I think you should do just in general, whether you're religious or not, but it's, uh, you can see it as a sense of control that. When you come down to it, like a person, if you're trying to get someone 
to fully devout themselves to this. I mean, you could even like, I, it's a sensitive word, but cult, if you want, if you're a cult leader and uh, you want someone to be fully devout to you and do whatever you say, you need to control them in every, every sense of the aspect of their life, whether it mean money, you give money to the church, you're giving a part of your money to that, or whether your sex life with to control whether what you do or who you do it with or different things like that it can be such a manipulating thing to to put on people to to convince them that these natural urges they have are bad and that they're inherently evil and that some deity up in up in the sky or whatever is going to get sad if you if you drink yeah. off, you know? like why would this omnipotent being Care. Imagine how much anxiety that must put on someone that their, exactly. their, their natural urges are wrong. Like, that must be horrible. Exactly. No, and I remember going through the same thing. I remember when I was 13, you go and talk to the bishop, and the bishop asking me if I masturbated. And it's like, a, it was such a weird thing. And that, like, this, this guy is just, like, asking me these very personal questions. Yeah. And then, like, telling me that they're inherently bad and I should try to avoid it. I remember being told to put up a picture of Jesus in the bathroom so that I wouldn't get the urge to God, just look at Jesus and be like, Oh, oh my so God. So it's like, a, I mean, you're 13. <laughs> like, yeah. You're pumping with hormones. I know. Like there's an, if, if you don't jerk off at that age, you're just going to have wet dreams yeah. and it's going to find a way to get out one way or another. And it's just so weird that this grown man is asking you this as well. It's creepy. Really. I mean, yeah, it's, like, I wouldn't say, like, I don't want to put on, like, my my bishop at the time. Like, he wasn't a bad guy. He was just doing his job as a bishop to ask, to make sure I was worthy to to join the temple, to go in the temple, because you have to get a temple recommend to uh, to be able to go in. You have to be, like, uh, worthy enough to, to go in there. So if you're doing these things that aren't worthy, then you can't have a temple recommend. And, yeah, it's... It's so linear it, it, when you describe it like that. Mm-hmm. I never yeah. thought of religion. Maybe Mormonism's different than I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe every religion has that kind of structure to it, and that kind of. Mm-hmm. I know Scientology does definitely. You go up in orders and ranks until yeah, you're it's like, ranks and ranks and up. Yeah. And there's the same thing in Mormonism. You you feel like it it puts you on this path of you feel like you're making progression in your life because you've moved up. Like when you turn twelve, you become a deacon. And you're able to pass the sacrament and stuff. And it's like, ooh, and then you turn 14 and then you're a teacher. And, and then 16, you're a priest and you can bless the sacrament. And then you get older and then you're, you're a priest. And then you go on your mission and you're an elder, you're a missionary. And it's like, ooh, look at me. And then you come back home and you're like, what do I do next? And they're like, oh, you got to get married and have kids. And that's just the next step. And it's just step by step. And to give people who maybe don't have a perfect idea of what their life wants to be, it gives them a route. It gives them a, yeah. a map of progression, of like where I can step up and push myself in that sense. It gives you like a roadmap. I just don't know if it's the best roadmap or the healthiest roadmap. I mean, people can definitely be perfectly healthy and there's lots of people who are in religion. But I also feel like for me personally, it's thinking these questions, like I would ask very... I was being shut down and not giving real answers, just all these cop-out answers when I would ask questions. It was like, 
well, that's just how it is, or we don't know. Oh, I or, hate that. Uh, yeah. It's just God's plan or something like that. It's like, that's not an answer. Yeah. But I say, it's like, how was the universe created? And like, God did it. And it's like, okay, how? Or like different, just going any deeper than that. You can't do that without going over to science. And then once you get into science and you're like, oh, I've definitely had friends who are like, yeah, I, I believe in evolution and like the Big Bang and stuff. I just think God started it. But it's also when you when you researched it so much and looked into it, you're like. These things look like from what we studied, they happen naturally and it's all happened naturally for millions of years. Why does there have to be this middleman who started it when it seems like it's all been doing its own thing? progressively for millions or billions of years without us yeah because I mean, it didn't need us to put a label on it it's been happening for billions of years without us putting the label oh, yeah. of religion on it it's just when we had that evolutionary step of consciousness we decided to label it and it, that's so funny when you think of it that way we, we've been here for such a small amount of time and yet because we have this awareness this self-awareness we, we feel like we're able to then to ask questions. Yeah. When, you know, we don't, do we even have the right to know how it all started? Maybe that's just completely so far beyond our way of thinking that we, we, we're not meant to know and we, we're never going to grasp yeah. it. And, you know, it's just the way it is. But I mean, to, to say that a, a person in the sky started it, that's just such a, uh, it's just such a human way to, to define it, isn't it? To explain it. Yeah. When, before we had ways of explaining it. I mean, it, it all sounds good when you look at the Bible. It's like there's a bunch of goat herders out in the desert trying to explain why they're here without being able to use any of today's modern scientific methods or anything like that to actually progress and try to work towards the truth. And even you could come to the sense of maybe everything we know in science is wrong, completely wrong. But there's a lot of evidence saying otherwise. But then also there, they, you could just treat all these scientific theories as just that theories and look at religion as a theory too. But you can also look at any other single idea and you could think about alternate dimensions, higher beings that maybe are there. Maybe they're not. We could be on our own. There could be aliens. There could be, we could be in a simulation. We could have been planted. Some aliens came to earth, jacked off on some water and it mixed up in some weird concoction of a mixture and created the first life on earth. We could have just been created by some other higher intelligence. And there's so many just other theories. I'm not even saying these things are true. It's just the fact that they could be. And when you come back and look at religion and it's just like such a, it almost feels too simple, almost too yeah. basic. Yeah. Like you came here, you're supposed to do some things, try to be a good person then you die and you go to paradise it just seems too too good to be true and almost too simple yeah i think they're all it sounds like good ideas and it just makes you feel good and it makes it easier to accept your own immortality as a person to be able to like, like, you know, oh yeah, uh, there's someone who loves me. And for people who maybe don't have someone who loves them, that can feel really good. But also I think it's important to be your own person and recognize that you don't necessarily need someone who, who loves you and you can love yourself and be the best person you can. And you can always find someone who will love you. And 
it almost seems like an abusive relationship to try and gain the love. It's like uh, God's love is like forever. It's unconditional, except under these conditions. Yeah, that's so <laughs> funny when you put it that way. And it kind of yeah. ties in, because you were speaking about love and relationships and all that, to mm-hmm. this next question. Because, I mean, yeah, again, you know, answer it if you want. And from what I know about you, I don't know if you even can, because have you ever been in love, Jaden? And if you have, have oh, you yeah. ever been heartbroken? And if you have been heartbroken, yeah. what did it teach you? And if you are comfortable in talking about that, I know like no. people can relate to that. So, yeah, yeah no, um, I kind of mentioned, I've only, I can only say I've been in love once. And that was with my second girlfriend, the same girlfriend who introduced me to photography, the same girlfriend that I almost got married to. Oh, wow. So that's Um, pretty serious then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it it was pretty serious. And uh, I can't deny that I was in love. Like, I I definitely was. And, but then when it finally, like, I was so young and I was like, am I really, like, I never even got to flirt with a girl across the bar or something like that. I get a girl's number. I've never even done that. I've just dated two girls from high school. And I just like, and I'm just closing that door. And I'm very into just not closing doors. I like to keep opportunities open to explore different things but then when we did break up obviously I was I was the one who initiated the breakup and it was really hard because I kept going back and forth because it's like I, I love her but I also want to experience life and so it was it was really hard to push away um but when I did it was definitely the deepest sadness I've probably ever felt oh wow and uh yeah, because it was like I, I had this best friend for two years who was like my everything. And then now she's gone and we don't talk and she probably hates me. Well, maybe not anymore. It's been like five years now. I'm not even really thinking about this stuff anymore. I'm over it. But um, but what I did to like better myself was I was like, I need to market myself in a way that I should just become my own person and not focus on trying to get people to like me. I should just do stuff. And naturally, people will think that's cool. Yeah. So I gained these abilities with photography and art. And now people are like, oh, that's pretty cool. He's an artist. Like, it's it's the same thing with, like, musicians, I guess. It's like someone sees you with a guitar and they're instantly intrigued. Yeah. So it's cool how you kind of grown as a person and he kind of taught you. He kind of learned more, maybe, from having broken up with a subsequent oh, yeah. than rather than what you maybe learned about yourself during that relationship. Yeah. And I definitely, like, soon after that, I got into running. And I was, like, at the gym running, like, eight miles a night. And I was just pissed, just running, thinking about this. And that's what kept me running. I was just like, fuck this. It's so stupid. Um, like, and then eventually I even ran a half marathon. Um, yeah, I remember the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. You had the T-shirt to prove yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I ran that half marathon. And even today, I don't know if I'd be able to do that because I was... I was running on anger and sadness and I just don't have those feelings anymore to push me forward. And I don't know, that'd be a whole different thing. I need aspect. I need to learn about myself to be able to motivate myself just by pure motivation instead of emotions. Yeah. And even like, even in that moment when I uh, was getting ready to do the half marathon, it was a very like random thing. My, my uncle just asked me, he's like, Hey, you want to do that? He saw that I was running a lot. I was like, sure. And then like two weeks later I did it. But I, I remember the night before the, the marathon, I 
I went on her Twitter and like her her uh, Instagram. Oh, my my headphone just died. But um, I went on her uh, her social medias and just like scrolled through it just to piss myself off. I was like, <laughs> oh no! I was like, oh, fuck this! Just trying to get pumped up enough to 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 be motivated, you know. So it's funny how you describe that though considering you're the one who kind of like you said initiated the breakup in a sense so, yeah i mean that where did that anger but come there's from? there were still always like hurt feelings i think it's really hard to to not have that in a breakup i mean yeah because like you said necessarily the feelings that led to you feeling like you had to initiate that weren't obviously all from you like it's a two-way street so uh, yeah I, I get what you're saying it's um mm-hmm. yeah that's that's what happens between people though i guess and, and like when, when you're talking about the running as well it's cool how a lot of high performance athletes will like say the same thing. It's their past relationships and their upbringing and their, their circumstances that led to them to become a world champion. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's funny how things like this, like heartbreak or relationships, inspire a oh. lot more like amazing things in people's lives. And I mean, that's that's another thing I wanted to say was uh, it was the the deepest sadness I've ever been, but I also was in such a weird mental state of creativity and I never felt more creative in my life. And it almost seems like you see so many of these artists who have gone through dark things, like say Edgar Allan Poe, he had like such major like depression and stuff, but he he was able, he, he was just in such a sad point that he was able to come up with these, these things that were so moving from such deep, sadness or other emotions and i mean that's just an example of a person but like every i'm sure you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah you got there's picasso's blue paintings you had that whole era to it and inspired that i mean personally as well yeah i can i can speak to that but it's it's all about how you use it i guess so i mean that's something maybe to bear in mind it take maybe took you a while it took me a while to think about rather than just brooding it and wallowing it you can you can use it and then you know mm. see what can happen use it as fuel yeah light the fire and uh, exactly yeah i mean that's a good outlook to have um all right another another one for you um <laughs> tell us if you can about the last time you cried you don't necessarily have to say mm. why but i feel like and the reason why i felt it important to ask this question um cause it, it, again it's something i've kind of struggled with as well is society kind of nowadays although much more less so actually now recently it has to be said but there's still this like kind of image especially for young males kind of our age to aim to be like this stoic together man that's got all the answers and there's someone that Mm -hmm. everybody can rely on and they're like Mm -hmm. the alpha there's like and that's never going to go away yeah every generation has and will struggle with this i think when you get to around you know late teens, early 20s, you're trying to think about how do I be a man? And if you cry, Mm. that's in some ways almost the opposite of being a man because you're being emotional, you're not being stoic, you're not being together. It's like a sign of weakness. That's what we've been taught it is. Exactly. And so that's why I kind of like feel like it's important to put that question in there. Um, Just to, (laughs) I don't know, we're all human, aren't we? We all cry, so why not? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, even for me, like I've never really been a crier. In fact, for most of my teenage years, I 
felt like I couldn't cry. Like there was times where I was very emotional, but I just couldn't get tears to drop. And it was almost frustrating for me. Like I didn't, like I wanted to cry, but then I, I, I used to say my tear ducts were in backwards. <laughs> I just couldn't get them to. You just drowned in slow. <laughs> yeah, but um, so uh, the last time I cried, I think was when I joined ships. Like at the airport, it was such an emotional time leaving because I'd never. It was my first time really on my own like that, and uh, so just at the airport, and it was such like a, I I couldn't control it. It just happened. And I guess that's how it is whenever I cry. It's so very, it like, was, I have it was the moment, sorry, no you, you left your family. At the airport with my family. Ah, well, yeah, that, I was like saying yeah. goodbye at the airport. So what was it um, about that you were saying, sorry, before I put it in, that you couldn't control? Like, what was it that came over? The fact that you just couldn't control, that you wouldn't see them again? Well, it's, it's just, it was just overwhelming. Like, you knew, like, I wasn't going to see my family for a while. And it just the buildup, you know, all the everything that's been building up to that moment for the longest time. I felt really weird. I almost, I had this weird existential dread. I felt like I was going to die soon. Like I literally kept thinking like, I'm going to die soon. And I didn't know why. And now looking back, I think it was the sense of, I kept telling people, yeah, I'm leaving on ships soon. And then like, there's so many times, like I remember a very specific time, like I was sitting on the couch with my mom and my sister and my mom was like, you're going to miss him, huh? And it was like a whole like, it was just building up like people were saying they were going to miss me and like stuff like that. And it felt like I was dying. Oh, wow. Like people yeah. were like, oh, he's leaving. He's leaving. <laughs> uh, that, that That's the best way I can explain it. Like it just felt like I was moving on and maybe I wouldn't see these people again. And I almost had to accept my own death in that in that sense. Because people... Like literal sense, I guess. Because that makes sense though, I guess. Because people are using the terminology. Like you're going to miss him when he's gone. Oh yeah, Jaden's not going to be mm. with us anymore. That, yeah, I mean, like, he's not going to be with us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's such a. I mean, is cool the right word? But I mean, that, that's really interesting. I I don't honestly remember having that same feeling. But I remember I can relate to obviously, leading up to it. If I just try and think back to what people were saying, how I was thinking, it was more. I had a very clear idea. I think leading up to what I wanted and I knew I wanted to travel and I looked into ships a lot and had, I could visualize it a lot. So I think that's what stopped me from so much having the, the fear of that unknown so much, that dread. I still obviously Mm -hmm. had nerves about being around these new people, but I could, I could at least visualize it a bit more, but that that's, that's mad to have that sensation of you're going to die. Like, yeah, it didn't help that at the time I was having heart palpitations. Yeah. And it was such a new thing. I remember you saying I was that as well. Freaking out. I remember when you came on board, because I had it too around that exact time. Um, I think it's something that I was put on a 24 hour ECG for it. And mm-hmm. I think the um, cardiologist, if that was the person's job, but um, it's, right. it's, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. It, they they, <laughs> they kind of implied that is a normal thing for young males to have. Um, yeah. And that made me feel a lot better. But, it's, it's that, definitely you told me that and I felt so much better oh yeah like and especially that I knew someone personally now that it was also happening and honestly yours were a lot worse than mine yeah. like if what you happened to you happened to me I'd be freaking out like mine was just like a one harder heartbeat but yours is like a like crazy that like you're doing stuff like I never even had it to that extent yeah but just the fact that my heart was doing something that I had no control over and I didn't know if it was a bad thing or not 
it really scared me. And I think that was another thing that pushed me to kind of accepting my own death in that sense of I was leaving, I was having these medical issues <laughs> at the time. And I was like, man, I'm going to die. Yeah. So it's, well, at it's least, very... At least now, I guess, like you said, having done ships, you can die happy. So yeah, that exactly. posture. <laughs> I've, I've kind of already accepted my death in that sense, even before ships. Yeah. And that just even pushed it more to, wow, this life is amazing. Um, where, where did you join ships? Did you, did your parents drive you out to Southampton? Did you fly out somewhere? So, yeah, it was, they, my stepdad drove me to Manchester airport. So that's about a 40 minute drive from where I live. So it, how far is Southampton from where you live? Oh, Southampton's about four and a half hour drive. So, but I didn't, okay. I didn't join in Southampton. I joined in Dubai. So, oh, right, right. Yeah. Did. So that's what kind of made it more of a real culture shock because first of all, it wasn't my entire family I was with when I left. It was my stepdad and yeah, me and my stepdad have obviously you know, a great relationship and it was, it was almost harder in a way to say goodbye to one person than it might have been to say goodbye to a bunch of people. Cause then those bunch of people, yeah. when you leave, they know, oh, they're going to be talking to each other and they're going to say, oh, we're going to miss Sam, blah, blah, blah. But you know, he's going to be happy this mm -hmm. and the other. But it's so it's much more just leaving that person alone. I know it felt so hard. It, it was hard. And then you're alone too. Yeah, exactly. Because I just said goodbye to my stepdad and you know, we don't often hug, but we did that day and it was, it, that was it. And, um, and then I had to wait for the, the, you know, the, the check-in and I was insanely early. So I just sat in Manchester in the terminal or not even in the terminal, like the bit before you go, you know, drop off your, all your baggage and, you know, yeah. just, just waiting there. And I just remember being sat surrounded by my cases next to a wall, trying to keep it together, thinking like <laughs> the next time I go to sleep, I'll be in Dubai ready to go on the ship. So it was mad. Yeah. But I miss that feeling though. I think that rush of like airport traveling like that. To yeah. You just like the go, go, go. Exactly. You're like on a schedule. Like I got to get to this terminal. I get off my flight here. I transfer to this. I, I get to my hotel. I'm going to join the ship here. I have to get an Uber out to here. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. And I can only imagine what that was like for you. Like for me, I joined in New York. I was still in America. I felt very comfortable in that sense. I mean, I'd never been in New York before, but I was still in America. I can only imagine what it was like to fly to Dubai. Yeah. Was it like a, a, everything in like, uh, what do they even speak there? Uh, Arabic? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I, I think but it, it was actually in English. There. No, they, they speak um, a combination of languages actually I've since learned. So they speak Indi uh, Hindi. Um, I think they do speak Arabic. Um, but it, it is, um, yeah, Dubai is such a, like a very melting pot. I can imagine yeah. it. Yeah. It has, but it, has it really opened my on. eyes to not the first time I went there, but the second time I was with two, um, Indian friends who both spoke Hindi, but for the, for one thing, India has hundreds of languages besides Hindi. Like there's loads of different regions. Oh, yeah. And then Dubai is kind of similar where there's different types of languages in this, that, that. and it's like, the kind of like in my head, it was just, it was kind of like, there's a whole world outside of your own language that you're just never going to be in tune with, you know? Yeah. It's like this whole different code or something. But anyway, I'm digressing because that first time I went there, the only, the thing I remember the most was, yeah, being alone. Yeah. Starting ships, being nervous, this, that, and the other. But I sat alone in my hotel room and, um, 
you know, in Dubai, it's not as nice as people think in the head. If you're really rich, it's great. But if you're not, it's actually kind of rough. And the hotel yeah, was. I, ha- I haven't seen any pictures besides like the skyscraper. Oh yeah, it's kind of it, what you think of as, as Dubai. It's not like that. No, it's um, a lot of it's quite poor, and the the, the poor rich divide is quite high. And yeah, the hotel I was in, I didn't feel like entirely safe. I was safe, obviously, but I didn't feel like it was because you're on your own as well, and, and you know I hadn't been on my own much. Mm-hmm. And the call to prayer sounded, and it was terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh my God, I'd never oh, heard bet. anything like it, but it was like about one in the morning and I couldn't really sleep. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere. They do the call to prayer at one in the morning? I, I can't remember specifically, but they do it at like specific times of the day around the clock. Yeah. 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 And right. it was horrible, <laughs> like this horrible, ominous, like, I can't even do it. I'm not even going to attempt to try to do it, but you know, yeah, no, I know. you can I, imagine how it I've sounds. I've heard it before. Yeah. I know what it sounds Jesus, like. I didn't expect that. And it was just so like foreboding. And I was like, oh my God. Because this is not my culture. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I really felt removed from everything then. And then yeah, what, I got up the next day and, you know, getting the, the stress of getting to the, um, what was it, the ocean, uh, oh, I've forgotten the terminal now. The ship terminal? Yeah, but it had a name. It was named after um, Abdullah or something. It had like a very specific name. Um, <laughs> anyway, the terminal, I got there. And I was, <laughs> I was sat in the terminal for seven hours waiting to wow. get on the ship because they had to do immigration. So they had to Im- um, check all the immigration papers for all the guests. And then once that had done, all the crew. And then once that had happened, then they could bring on the new crew, like me, the new joiners. Mm-hmm. And uh, that took ages. So I was told to get there at like nine in the morning. And I could have got there like, you know, late afternoon really in reality and still to this day i hear the music from that from the terminal in my head and <laughs> and the music they were kept on playing on a loop in that terminal was the soundtrack to my first contract on the queen mary it just kept playing oh, yeah. in my head over and over and over and the second time i was on the queen mary doing like a mini contract on there again that music just out of nowhere started playing in my head and I had to remind myself, where have I heard this music from? And then I remembered, oh yeah, it was at the ocean, it was at the terminal in Dubai when I was waiting. Yeah. It just got ingrained in me. Um, I just was so impatient to just get on the ship by that point. I don't know. But yeah, it yeah. was it was really cool. And that's what I miss about cruise ships, is like they, they published these memes on on Facebook about it. And when most people most people get a car or walk to work, but when we would go to work, we'd get a plane and, you know, go around the mm-hmm. world and stuff. Or even when you were actually at work, you just go up one deck or something like that. That was something I've, I've told a lot of people. Like for me, I really like living close to my jobs. Like say uh, being a dental assistant, uh, there's a dental office like down the street. I worked there for a year. Now I'm working at a dental office that's like five minutes away. And it's only my jobs have only gotten closer and closer until I was on ships. And instead of driving down the street, I take the elevator up two floors and I'm at work. Yeah. And it's, I, I love that. It's pretty awesome. But I did want to uh, say something, how you, you, you said something about like the, the soundtrack to your contract, oh, like, I, like the music. And I, I definitely relate with that. Like with, uh, during my time on the Queen Mary, the, the latest Gorillaz album had come out, the Now Now. I think that's yeah the now now or the new now i think it's the now now yeah it's but, the now um, now because it went it went humans first then the now now didn't it yeah, De- humans yeah, the now, yeah now yeah and that that album came out and i was just obsessed with that while i was on uh the queen mary and then back uh on the elizabeth um 
there was this album, uh, this band Superette. Um, I their their first album came out. Well, technically their second, but their first full one. Um, I was just so obsessed with it. And this is the time when we were in Alaska. And now there's so many times where I listen to music and it throws me back to where I was in that moment yeah. listening to it. And uh, but that's another thing I wanted to get to, especially that's been actually a really weird thing that's been happening to me. And I would love to know if it happens to you, too. Um, I, I'll just be chilling, do my own thing. Just and then a random I, I get like a flashback to being some random place in the world. Like, say, it's like, like I'll just be chilling, maybe at dinner. And then all of a sudden it's like, fuck, I'm in Juneau, Alaska, walking around with you. It's mad. And it's like I've genuinely was going to that was one of the things I reminded myself today to ask you, but I'd forgotten. <laughs> But yeah, I, I totally have that. Today, I was in Canada, and I don't know why, but um, yeah. specifically, I think it was, um, it must have been Halifax. I just got a feeling of Halifax. And then there's mm-hmm. been other places as well, like, um, and and flashbacks to people as well, just in the crew bar, like their face, or then yeah. just, you know, specifically places. And I don't know why it is that, but it could just be like a random smell you might you know experience yeah. or you just get triggered yeah you, it's it's sometimes it's sometimes it's not very bad you just think about it and other times it's like overwhelming oh yeah and it makes I you feel, feel like, sad as well because you miss the place so much like actually um like i was saying um maybe before we started recording but about ketchikan and about how i was thinking of mm-hmm. you know doing the podcast and you and then it was instantly back in ketchikan and yeah. just moments like that where you've had all these experiences around the world and you don't really think on them too much but all like the benign things even the things that you didn't think were important they're the things that actually mm-hmm. come back for no reason at all it's mad isn't it it's almost like your brain doesn't know what to do with these memories anymore like you're not in this environment i'm back in my my parents house back where i was before all this and it's like i'm back here and now i just have memories of these places and it's like were they were they even real? And I can go back and look in pictures and confirm that they were real. But it's just this weird, I don't know. It's, I almost feel like I don't know how to fully process it. Yeah. But I have been thinking about the feeling like I'm having these flashbacks now of good flashbacks of good times. But if I had something traumatic happen to me, I can only imagine it, it's really given me like a more, a deeper sense of what PTSD must be like. Oh, of being Jesus, yeah. Say instead of being working on a cruise ship and traveling the world, you're you're in the army in war, and you you keep having flashbacks instead of having fun and catch again. You keep having flashbacks of some guy getting his head blown off or something like that. Yeah, like or it's some, yeah, it's I've I've kind of um, been listening to a podcast on it recently as well about PTSD and, and shell shock and what it does to people, and just to imagine that kind of psychological destruction is just it can only be achieved apparently by just constant constantly sustained trauma such as shelling Mm -hmm. like being shelled just thinking that you're going to die horribly at any minute for not just like half an hour or a day but for days on end and that's what caused these is that what shell shock is i'm I'm not yeah sure what that people people thought it was um related to you know the shock of um like your by by the shell so like your head is is the shell mm. but um, it's, it's from my understanding i thought it was being in a tank and just like something hits the tank and the vibrations just like drive you crazy or something well, but i think that's completely wrong no i'm sure you people have got post-traumatic stress disorder from 
working in tanks in in the army and in, in infantry. But um, I think the term shell shock comes from shells dropping on you like mortars, and um, right from the just falling from the sky that could kill you at yeah, any moment. Because it was the first world war that really saw the wave of people having PTSD. Obviously, yeah. it was a condition that has existed for you know hundreds of years in human history, probably. But mm-hmm. um, the first world war being the most horrible war in history, yeah, mm. that that saw. Um, an entire generation of men like not able to talk about it and um yeah and, and going back to the sense of that especially back then having to be a strong man who doesn't cry yeah well i can only imagine what they felt like if they cried they were shot in the face in some cases and it's if yeah they, if they um were uh they were called a coward if they were sent back home um it, it was just it was basically either die in the line of duty or die being called a coward and shot in the face behind, you know, behind the lines. And uh, yeah. just just to have that constant thought on your mind, like what they would refer to it as is doing your bit. And it could happen at any time. But if you might have to do your bit and your bit would, would not be, you know, digging this trench or um, completing this mission, your bit would be dying. And everybody would yeah, come, come to terms with that. Like, okay, you might have to do your bit today. You might have to die today. And if you did, then that's it. Your numbers just up. And it's just unreal to think about it, especially like we're so privileged now. And like you said, mm-hmm. we have these flashbacks. And you know, you obviously didn't, you know, compare it to trauma, but you were saying like these flashbacks of, you know, nice, happy instances on cruise ships and all these things around the world that just hit you suddenly, like for, for no reason. Mm-hmm. And like you said, to yeah. just imagine being sat, and then just hearing they were negative negative experiences yeah. instead of positive. And but just having a car backfire and then instantly you're back in the mind that you know the trenches of World War you know, yeah. weather. It's just unreal. Um it just puts it into perspective as well that how fortunate we are. And then a lot of people say that happiness and sadness and this um is relative and it depends on your own experience and maybe to an extent that's true. But I think when you actually look mm-hmm. at it and you actually compare sadness and stress um towards other people in other instances like you know people in world war one then you can start to look at it look at it as not relative but actually you know you can just say my problems aren't as bad as that (laughs) and then when you look at it that way you're like okay yeah so you're not you shouldn't downplay your own sadness and your own feelings and you should definitely Mm -hmm. like understand that they're value valuable and you're having them for a reason but yeah just just get get it in check a little bit i guess yeah every there's always someone who has it worse than you but it doesn't mean that your feelings aren't valid yeah. and that you shouldn't be able to work through your own mental health in trying to help yourself better yourself or overcome these uh negative aspects in your life like i've been extremely lucky and i really like it when i say like it's almost embarrassing that the saddest i've ever been was like some breakup like it's like well no it's the same for me as well that is the saddest i've ever been and it's just when you when you think about it i feel embarrassed about it now almost that Mm -hmm. you'd allow yourself to get so upset but when that's all you know of true sadness yeah then that's kind of it but people have had it worse like as i was thinking uh, do you know the, the song one by metallica uh, I don't think so. I haven't listened to a lot of it. It's them. pretty cool. And the the backstory behind the song, it's about, it's just based on a true story, I found out. And it's based on a Canadian um, infantryman in the First World War. 
that got his face blown off and lost his sense of um well he lost his you know, sight obviously he couldn't talk and he lost his arms and he lost his legs so he could hear wow but he couldn't communicate at all but he was alive yeah and the song's about being that one individual and you know <laughs> i just hmm. i just genuinely the song's really good um but yeah what i have to look it up yeah what it's about though is horrible and it's terrifying and apparently the guy was like a communications um guy who's like a radioman so he knew morse code and he was tap, like nodding his head and moving around no way and they, they actually found um that he was sort of typing morse code saying please kill me and it's just oh <laughs> yeah oh my it god. makes you just think oh my god like that is doesn't get worse than that and so it will never be that bad. That's what I tell myself now. That is that is like as bad as it gets. That's worse yeah. than death for sure. Yeah, there are definitely worse things than death. Mm. So um, I kind of think now we might be sort of rounding rounding off to an, a neat conclusion. Or it doesn't have to be neat. Yeah. It can be a conclusion. <laughs> but I had um, basically like one last question. I think that might be nice just to sort of tie up, you know, this conversation and getting to know more about you and stuff like that so um what's your goal like where where do you think you're heading like what's your purpose or sort of more neatly put what are you trying to say man that is a really deep question um that's why it's last (laughs) (laughs) i guess like in goals it's hard to tell because like when a couple years ago I wanted to be a director and I thought that was my goal. And now today I, th- well, I thought I want to be a photographer and now I moved on from that. And now I want to be a painter and, you know, maybe I might move on to something else. It's just so hard to tell. My goal is to experience as much as life as I can. That's, that's real. And to get the most out of it. I don't want to not be able to do something just because people have told me we can't do it. I want to explore and learn as much as we can about everything and learn whether there are things maybe we shouldn't mess with, or maybe there's other things that we should explore more and maybe we can better ourselves as a person or maybe even humanity itself. And uh, I think the the most important thing, I mean, during the this whole conversation is like, and I've, I've kind of had this, uh, like, I don't know, maybe mantra, something I've kind of said to myself and others. It's like, I, I'm, I'm free like I'm, I'm gonna be. I can't remember that. I had a exact way to word it, but basically, it's a. Uh, I could be wrong on these things, and I'm just trying to find the best truth I can, in anything I can, and I'm totally open. I, I, I don't believe in dogma or things absolutes. I believe in stuff. Stuff can change. My entire mindset is open to change, and I think you shouldn't be scared to change your lifestyle just because of how other people might view you or how it might change you as a person. Maybe you're scared of who you become, but I think you can open yourself up to being more accepting and uh, exploring life to the fullest you can and getting the most real raw connections in life that you can to, to get what you can out of this crazy potential simulation of whatever this is. Like it's, it's it it could be anything and i think we need to take advantage of what this is and do whatever we can that was yeah i that was really well put <laughs> <laughs> awesome so i guess now um unless there's anything else you want to say 
No, no, I think, I mean, I don't have, uh, you check out my Netflix comedy special. <laughs> um, well, yeah, if you want to find out more about Jaden, you can um, check out his Instagram, which is jroosh72, is that right? That's my personal, but for my artwork, it's a creation underscore jar, which is a little easier to define. Creation underscore J-A-R. Yeah. yeah. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'll even start my own podcast. This is this is pretty awesome. Have you on? Oh, I'd love that. Cross pollinate this whole thing. Yeah, because that's the thing about podcasts is like you're used to having conversations. But when you're having a conversation and you know it's being recorded and other people might listen to it and it's like this this fictitious audience that might exist yeah. and it might not or it might exist. Yeah, no, no one could listen to this, but also lots of people could listen yeah. to this. So it gives it this kind of credence and it makes the conversation more refined and it makes you sort of connect more to the other person. That's what I find. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've been wanting to do this now for so long, especially listening to podcasts yeah. so much is because when you listen to yeah, it as well, same. I hope people find this is that it's kind of the information you're not seeing it. It's just being like downloaded into your brain. It's just complete, mm -hmm. especially the way we talk, the, this stream of consciousness kind of style of conversation. So yeah. that's definitely the advantage to it. If you want to start your own podcast, Jaden, I would be more than happy to to come on and and you know <laughs> you know spout any wisdom I have. But um, yeah, let's but yeah, talk it out. I mean that that's this has been great. Like I like I feel like if we would have just video called in general, I don't know if we would have even gotten in this full in depth as we have. No. Like I we've already talked about a lot of this stuff just personally on our own when we have been together, but to be able to express it in a way that could potentially change some mindsets or open other people to thinking in different ways. And it's like, it's like, I'm not here to change minds, but I'm here to to nudge you to be like, Hey, maybe the the world is bigger than, than you thought. Yeah. And if anybody's listening and they got something away from this conversation, if they actually made it this far as well, because I think it's probably at least two hours. Yeah. This is deep. In. What are we, what are we sitting at now? It must be. I mean, let me have a look actually. This is where I figure out that I've accidentally not pressed record. <laughs> we're just, yeah, we're, I've, I've checked my, my mic multiple times same. to make sure it's still recording. So we're just over three hours. So I mean, three hours, yeah, wow. maybe once, once I edit it, it might be less than that. But I mean, that's, yeah. that didn't feel like three hours at all. So yeah. And honestly, you don't even have to edit that much. I think we were pretty, it was just pretty straight oh, yeah. And there was, there was some, some, uh, blank spots in between, but it wasn't anything well, yeah. derailing. This we wasn't didn't say anything controversial. I mean, maybe a little controversial, but not enough to take it out. No, no, not like that at all. And like, n there wasn't a script for this either. That's the beauty of it. No. So, I mean, if anybody did make it this far, thank you very much. And feel free to comment um, if you're on YouTube or, you know, follow on uh, Spotify, do whatever you can to support, you know, like and share and this, that and the other. And hopefully like these conversations that we have on here can maybe like, op not necessarily open people's mind, but open a conversation. Because I think what we're missing a lot from nowadays, especially, are conversations like this and are a lot of ideas being shared rather than just um, viral things being shared and short form opinions when you can have long form discussions that might, you know, yeah. lead to lead to more of a more of a you know culture of change, I guess. So in a very very yeah. small way, hopefully this is you know some 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 kind of advancement towards that but listen yeah i mean like thank you so much for being the first guest as well because yeah, that's I am that's cool honored. 
<laughs> and I wouldn't have had anybody else be the first guest. Like I said um, in the introduction, genuinely the most creative person I've ever met. And uh, I think you can learn a lot from, like you said, just trying to be yourself and thinking everything through and thinking if it actually sort of correlates with your own goals in life and on what you actually want to do. I think that's so important. And you've obviously your testament to that as well. Yeah, I think even if no one listens to this, I would still want to do this and record it for my own, for personally. I mean, I, I can now listen back to this whenever I want. And like we have this conversation saved, this full yeah. in-depth. And I can, I just think that's really cool to have these moments saved. Especially because it's been almost a year since we've last talked face-to-face. Yeah, yeah. We, we haven't, yeah, we haven't talked, video chatted or anything. We've, we've messaged, but nothing... Nothing like this. This is the longest conversation we've had in like almost a year. Yeah, this, it's this, wild. This is probably the longest conversation I've had in a long time with anybody. As well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it's been a nice relief from lockdown anyway. Um, so yeah. everybody, thank you very much for listening. This is uh, the Sam Clyde, the Incline Podcast, I should say, episode two, Jaden Roosh, and I might start that one again. How should I? I don't know how to. I've not been doing this long how enough. To end to, it? Yeah, I don't know how to end it. Just basically, thank you very much for listening. And the next episode, I think there'll be another guest on, and they might be from cruise ships as well. And uh, yeah, definitely get Daniela on. Yeah, so Daniela Buda, um, she's a photographer. She was photo manager to us on ships. Um, yeah, I think that'd be really interesting, especially to follow on from what you've been saying. Um, it yeah. can be hold this like meta conversation as well. So. Yeah, look yeah we can have like get her on and then maybe sometime you get a few more episodes in i'll come back we'll do some some other get some other people in here we can even we can get even deeper yeah i think it'll be awesome all right so you heard it here first <laughs> i'm daniela if you're <laughs> listening uh, get get ready get a microphone <laughs> i'm sure she has a microphone